Take down, everybody wants into the crowded line. Break down, take down, you busted. play that song after Black Friday, Shakedown, the other song by Bob Seger. Everyone thinks of uh, old-time rock and roll when they think of the most commonly known Bob Seger song, but this was actually his uh, most successful song. It was number one. And uh, from the Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack from 1987 called Shakedown. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friend show. Just five days after our last episode... Today's episode takes place on October 22nd, 2013. Our last episode was October 17th, 2013. We're back on our regular schedule, and next week we will be back a week from now, October 29th. Before we get going, I want to tell you guys about our weekly free roll. Every week we have a free roll for real cash money on this show. When I say real cash money, I mean it. I mean I will send you money via PayPal via check, bank transfer, whatever. Real money. A completely free free roll. All you need is an account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which is found on the very top of the screen. It says No Fraud Online Poker. You need a separate account there, but it's totally free. You don't even need play chips. Someone PM me, hey, I need some play chips to play the tournament. No, you don't. You can play it without play chips. There's only one thing you need, aside from an account there, to win the free money, and that is you have to have a registered account on Poker Fraud Alert Forum, the forum part of Poker Fraud Alert, dated January 1st, 2013 or before. If you do not have a Poker Fraud Alert, Poker Fraud Alert Forum account dated January 1st, 2013 or beforehand, you will need to... PM me, Dan Space Druff, on the forum, or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you have been around, convince me you have been listening, convince me that you did not just show up tonight to get the free money. Convince me you've been around for at least a few weeks. There are two exceptions to this, by the way. If I know you from the past on another forum, and have interacted with you on other forums, then you don't have to do that, and if you've been a guest on this show, you don't have to do it. Last I looked, we have tonight in our chat Sheets, who was actually a guest on our show, a very uh, interesting show where we talked about staking. He said he wanted to play tonight, and even though I don't think his account is dated January 1st or before, I make an exception for him because he's been a guest on the show. So if you've been a guest on the show before, not a call-in, but a guest, then uh, you are allowed to win the free money as well. We have an $88 free roll this week. This money all came from our users, did not come from me. We have a very generous community that keeps giving every week, so we have real money to give away during these free rolls. This week, our $88 came from Dirty Ernie, who donated 58 of it. 
Edward Teach, who donated 10, and Simpdog, who donated 20. And Simpdog wanted everyone to know that he donated it because of C-Money's wormhole football picks, which so far are 2-0 and after an amazing year last year, which only lost uh, one time. I think like 18-1-1, something crazy like that. So, so far, C-Money's 2-0 and with his wormhole picks again, and Simpdog has been winning. So he's donating 20 of that back to the free roll. Here are the payouts for the tournament. The tournament starts at 7.40 p.m. Pacific Time. It's a No Limit Hold'em tournament as usual. Maybe next week we'll have a different game, but this week again it's No Limit Hold'em. The prizes are first place, $40. Second place, $25. Third place, $15. And fourth place, $8. 40 25 15 and 8 Poker Fraud Alert has given away more money in our online free rolls than any poker podcast or radio show in the world. Look it up. For the last year, you will not find a poker radio show that has given up given away this much money in its free rolls. So, I give all the credit to our user base, to our listeners, for donating this money week after week, and I really appreciate that. And, you know, sometimes I show up with no money to give away, and people just immediately step up and ship money over. Different people every time, too. We have some who contribute more than others, but a lot of different people have contributed. Here is the agenda for tonight, but before I get to the agenda, I want to let you know that in ten minutes we are going to have a co-host. You will find out who that is in ten minutes when he joins the show. Just got a message from him saying that he would like to join. And I said, okay. Always like it better when I have a co-host. So here are the topics tonight. Some interesting and informative topics tonight. Some weeks we have more interesting things than others to discuss. This week I like the topics very much. Diamond Flush, who runs uh, DiamondFlushPoker.com, which is uh, it's an independent poker news site... It's run by a woman who calls herself Diamond Flush. Originally, I'll tell you the truth, I've said this before, when I heard of Diamond Flush and I read her articles, for some reason I pictured Diamond Flush to be like an Indian kid, like an Indian-American kid. When I say Indian, I mean not an Indian living in India, but an Indian kid living in America from an American family who's by like 24 years old. That's what I pictured. That's what I pictured Diamond Flush to be, like a short little Indian kid writing these articles. Well, I could not have been more wrong. It turned out to be a middle-aged woman who I believe is white. And I've never seen a picture of her. But she does some very good research. She's a very good investigative reporter. And she's influenced by no one. Much like this site, where I will just tell you the truth. I'll just come forward and give you my direct opinion, not influenced by anything or anyone, other than what I really believe. A Diamond Flesh does that too, but, uh, of course, more in uh, written news kind of form. She doesn't really editorialize. She more writes news stories, investigative news stories. So, she wrote one, actually last week, but I think it's still worth talking about this week, regarding Garden City Group, the company that is charged with managing our full-tilt refunds from Black Friday. So she wrote an article called Garden City Group, Comedy of Errors or Still Room for Redemption? Some interesting things came out during her investigation of Garden City Group, and I'll tell you guys about that. Ultimate Poker 
talked about them a lot on this show. Haven't talked about them in a few weeks, but uh, something definitely worth discussing. And as you guys know, I did uh, have some talks with Ultimate Poker about possibly going to work for them as a consultant, because obviously I know a whole lot about the online poker industry. I know what players are looking for. I know, you know, from a customer service standpoint what they're looking for. I know from a software standpoint what they're looking for. I, I know a lot of things that could really help them. And I offered this to them both publicly and privately, and we were in some talks that uh, haven't really concluded either way, to be honest. Uh, I'm not on tap to work for them. I also have not been rejected saying, sorry, we're not interested. It's kind of in the middle right now, where it's kind of in flux. But I told you guys that despite that, I'm not going to shy away from talking about Ultimate Poker when it needs to be talked about. And this week it needs to be talked about. Uh, There are a number of sponsored pros from Ultimate Poker who have left... Some have left quietly, some have left not so quietly. I will talk about the pros that left, what they've said about their departure, and what my opinion is as to why they're really leaving. An internet gambling conference took place today in Philadelphia. This is a conference uh, with a number of influential or uh, relevant people in the internet gambling industry. And when I say the internet gambling industry, I don't mean people from Merge or from Lock Poker or like those online sites that are operating illegally or even the foreign ones that are operating legally for foreign residents like PokerStars. I mean internet gambling for the emerging legalized market in the U.S. There was a conference about that in Philadelphia today. I will tell you what came out of that conference and the subjects that were discussed and uh, I'll give you my opinions on the subjects that were discussed. And when, of course, when I say my opinions, I also mean our co-host, when he joins, uh, he'll give his opinions as well. And I always like having two people for this. Chino Reem. He's obviously a good subject to discuss on a show like this called Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This guy has cheated a lot of people. Now, when I say he's cheated people, he's not a traditional scammer who... Um, gets money from people intending to cheat them. He's a degenerate who borrows money from people under false pretenses and then does not pay them back. That's still pretty bad. That still is cheating people. It's just different than a scammer. I wouldn't say he's uh, a direct scammer, but he's more of a, a person who borrows from you with lies to where he would pay you back. Like let's say, let's say he won the lottery. Let's say Chino Ream won $100 million. I guarantee he'd pay everyone back, where a lot of traditional scammers wouldn't, unless they were forced to. But I'm not defending him. Uh, he's really ripped off a lot of people using his big name in poker. You know, People know of him as a successful tournament player, as a guy who made the main event final table. He's borrowed a lot of money from a lot of people, lying about his ability to pay them, and then uh, doesn't. And they're out the money. And that's cheating. And that's ripping people off. Anyway, that's nothing new. But what is new is he has finally admitted that most of the rumors about him are true. So I'm going to read from that article about Chino Reem, where he admits that most of these rumors are true, and give you my opinion as to uh, the things he had to say there. Well, the Poker Hall of Fame has made its elections. Every year, up to two people can be elected to the Poker Hall of Fame. There are a number of people who were nominated. Many of them were worthy, or I think at least semi-worthy. 
and there were a few I thought were not worthy at all. And uh, let me quickly go over the candidates again. I'm not going to go into all this until we get to the subject, but uh, Chris Biorin, Humberto Brenes, David Chu, Thor Hansen, Jennifer Harmon, Mike Mattisau, Tom McAvoy, Carlos Mortensen, Scotty Wynn, and Huck Seed. So, definitely some big names there that you wouldn't be surprised to see in the Hall of Fame, and you wouldn't think were, were undeserving of the Hall of Fame, but I think of all these names, the one that jumps out at me as undeserving of the Hall of Fame is Tom McAvoy. Now, only two of these people, maximum, could be elected to the Poker Hall of Fame. So if all those people, they nominated, or they elected, Scotty Wynn, which is fine, he deserves it, and Tom McAvoy. (laughs) So Tom McAvoy now in the Poker Hall of Fame. And uh, the the way they announced it, they said, "Our, our new 2013 Poker Hall of Fame inductees, Scotty Wynn, and everybody cheered, And then they said, Tom McAvoy. People couldn't believe it. Tom McAvoy is in the Poker Hall of Fame. A travesty. And I'll talk about that. Nothing against the guy personally, just uh, he doesn't belong there. They really uh, shine to light upon the uh, process of the Poker Hall of Fame being pretty much a joke. Well, there's another shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. Not very good. Of course, we had that one back in December, which was on the street, on Flamingo and Vegas Boulevard, you know, right by the Bellagio and Caesars. People actually could see outside their windows at Caesars an explosion. That was back in December, from a shooting and then a subsequent car crash. Uh, This one did not occur on the road. This one occurred at a club. Someone shot someone else in the club because they wanted their money back. They wanted their cover charge money back. Can you believe that? That happened on the Vegas Strip in a Caesars property. I'll talk about that. Guys probably remember the Trencher gambling ring case. This is the Russian mob-related gambling ring in New York where there were a bunch of busts, and uh, various poker players went down as a result, such as Peter Feldman and... uh, uh, Abe Mosseri was one of them. Uh, Justin Boosted J. Smith. Bill Edler. These were all minor figures in the whole bust, but they were pretty much running sports bets for the Russian mob there. A lot of a lot of plea bargains today. Or, I shouldn't say today, but a lot of plea bargains recently. I'll tell you about those. A lot of you know that I'm a big Dodgers fan. I'm sorry I'm going to torture you with Dodgers talk one more time, but I will wait till near the end of the show, so you can turn it off if you don't want to hear it. But uh, Dodgers signed another Cuban player today, and uh, they got beat by the St. Louis Cardinals four games to two in the NLCS. They will not be going to the World Series, despite all the money they spent. I will give you my opinion as to whether the Dodgers will be a World Series team in 2014, and if they can really change the better, and if Don Mattingly is coming back. I'll tell you my opinions of these things, and I'm sure China Maniac, whose Boston team is going to the World Series, will have something to say about that as well. Finally, more Caesars fail. It seems like Caesars is very good at failing. They're very good at screwing things up. They've they've 
worked screwing things up into an art form, whether it's the way they run the World Series or the way they run their hotels. They just, even when they make signs or marketing material, they always find ways to screw things up embarrassingly. Well, it happened again. And they found a creative new way to screw up. And that is, they went into business with an organized crime figure. And they got kicked out of a market they wanted to get in. There was almost a Caesars Casino in Boston. But there's not going to be one anymore. No Caesars Boston. It's not going to happen because they were involved with a mobster. It's almost like something you'd find on TV. But yes, Caesars Palace, or Caesars Corporation, Caesars Entertainment, was involved with a mobster. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So I'll talk about that. It's unbelievable. And these are the people running the World Series. You wonder why the World Series has so many problems, why it has so many operational failures. And you say, well, this is the same company that goes into business with a mobster. In 2013, this isn't like old-school Vegas where the mob ran the city. This is 2013 corporate Vegas, and they still went into business with a mobster. The Russian mob, not the Italian mob, but still a mobster. So those are our topics tonight. I'll let you know when our co-host joins, and I'll leave you in suspense as to who that might be. If you want to interact with me, there are a few ways to do so. A few ways to do so. First of all, you can go into the chat room. The chat room, you can find by going to near the top of the screen, you'll see a button that says chat. You need an account on the Poker, Fra- the Poker Fraud Alert forum to chat with me. I'm not going to be actively be talking in the chat, but I'm going to be reading the chat, especially once I have my co-host on. I will be able to read the chat more. So, a lot of you like to communicate with me in the chat room, and that's fine if you don't want to call in. A lot of people just like communicating with one-liners or little tidbits rather than make a whole call out of it, and that's cool. So you can go into the chat, and I will be watching that as much as possible, but do not get mad at me if I don't see your chat, because I'm trying to do a radio show here. Also, you can call in. We have two phone numbers to call in. 775-FRAUD-55 775 775-372-8355 775-372-8355 775-FRAUD-55 All the same phone number. Make sure to show your caller ID by dialing star 82 beforehand. And, if you want to call a 702 number, I have our Mount Charleston line. Our Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone that sits on the top of a mountain called Mount Charleston that hangs over Las Vegas. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. Both of those will reach me. If I do not answer the phone, that does not mean I'm trying to ignore you. It means that we're in the middle of something. So if the phone does not answer, don't panic. Just call back in 15 minutes or so, or wait until I say we're taking calls. But uh, if I find kind of a, a point in the show that I feel like answering you, even if I'm in the middle of saying something, I probably will take your call. So those are the phone numbers. If you need to know them again, you can just ask in the chat room, and they will probably tell you. There's a lot of people who have these phone numbers memorized, because I've said them pretty much every show. So let's move to our first topic. It seems like every show we are talking about Garden City Group first, so what the hell? I'll talk about Garden City Group first again. There's been a lot of frustration with Garden City Group, the company that has been tasked to give us our full tilt refunds. Americans who have money stuck on full tilt since April 15, 2011, 
We've been waiting patiently. They have been the ones tasked to do it. And there's been a lot of people skeptical that they don't know what they're doing, that they don't have a clue. But these have been assumptions. Nobody's sure. It's just it seems like they don't have it all together. It seems like they're making rules on the fly that don't make a lot of sense. It seems like they're having to modify their rules when people come to them and say, hey, this is wrong, or hey, this is, uh, this is unfair. Hey, you guys should have thought of this a long time ago. So, it's amazing how long they've already taken and how little they have accomplished. It's amazing all the problems people are having with so many claims on their website. But that's not new stuff. We've been talking about that on this show for quite some time. But uh, Diamond Flush, who again is uh, an investigative reporter, a middle-aged woman who does investigative reporting on DiamondFlushPoker.com. And I'll tell you something about the Diamond Flush Poker articles. They're very well-researched. She's very thorough. Obviously a very smart woman who... uh, You're not going to get anything by her. She's uh, very thorough and very good at investigating. And puts a lot of time into this stuff. And I, I don't believe she makes any money from this. So props to Diamond Flush for what she does. But I'll say this. They're not the easiest things to read. They kind of read almost like you're reading an encyclopedia. So... That can make people sometimes not want to read these articles because even if the subject matter is interesting, it seems she finds a way to make it boring. <laughs> but uh, a lot of good information is in there. I- I've always wished that Diamond and Flesh would get a second person who's like a a better writer. And when I say better writer, I mean, she's very good at, at putting together sentences and not making spelling mistakes or grammatical mistakes like that. But she just she doesn't write in an interesting or, or very clear format that uh, the average person can breeze through and understand it easily. But uh, regarding the information she presents, it's always very thorough and good. And I I think having someone like that in the poker world is a great thing. So I I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing her because that's just just one complaint on my part. I just want to warn you if you go to her site and you have to have some patience to understand everything. But uh, she wrote an article called Garden City Group, Comedy of Errors or Still Room for Redemption? And uh, let me put on our co-host here before we continue. Let's see if he'll answer the phone. Come on, co-host, where are you? Co-host. Okay, so we hey, have our. We have our. I was going to introduce you in a scary way. Mm-hmm. I was going. No, I was going to say our co-host this week is Bad Guy Twenty Three. That, that sound, that clicking sound you heard was uh, seriously serious turning off his radio immediately. But, uh, no, it's actually, it's actually China Maniac, of course. I'm sure you recognize his voice. Uh, my usual co-host this year on the show. What's happening tonight? I, I just heard, uh-oh. I've got an echo here. I'm going to call you right back. Okay. And uh, if someone's asking me to talk about Don Mattingly, I will towards the end of the show. This isn't baseball talk. So I, I will give Don Mattingly. Is that and the better? Da- yeah, uh, yeah, it is better. Uh, I will give Don Mattingly and the Dodgers some time at the end of the show. And, of course, China Maniac can chime in as well. And I'm aware of all the news going on with them. But uh, I, I, this, that's not what this show is about, so we'll put it at the end. I'd like to put the material at the end that I think a lot of people may not be interested in so they can turn it off and not miss anything. Right. But but we will talk about it tonight. It's, uh, you know, me being a big Dodgers fan, I have to. And uh, 
you know, I, I, I do wish that uh, I was like China Maniac and that the team that uh, I was a fan of was going to the World Series, but, you know, another year, another 25 years here, maybe it'll happen. So Real, real, real quick, uh, did you hear about the guy that got the World Series tickets for $3 on StubHub? <laughs> no. <laughs> guy logged in, guy logged into StubHub and someone either accidentally set uh, it was just one ticket for three dollars for Game One. Oh wow! And, um, yeah, he just he just download he paid for it, downloaded the ticket, and that was it. So I don't know if someone was just being super kind or if they meant to put three hundred or three thousand, but he got a ticket for three dollars. That's crazy. I, I would have snapped that up and resold it. I mean, that's that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So or you uh, just get a free or you get a free World Series game to go to one or the other. You know what I also see on StubHub sometime? And by the way, seven minutes to get into the free roll if you want to. What I see at, sometimes at uh, on StubHub are tickets that are ridiculously overpriced. So I, I can be, like a, by a factor of a ten or of a hundred or a thousand, to where like you'll see seats that should be a thousand dollars and they'll be going for one million dollars. I'm not even exaggerating. Like people put seats up for like a hundred thousand, uh, five hundred thousand, a million, and I don't know if they're doing it just to get attention or because they they just think, hey, what if some idiot buys this and thinks there's something special about the seats? Right. Maybe they're hoping, uh, what was that guy we talked about a couple of years ago that ran up the $40 million? I mean, a couple of weeks oh. ago. We were talking- <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe, maybe some guy like that will log on and just be like, what the hell, I'm a baller. Maybe he'll be drunk and, you know, yeah, just th- dropped 50 grand on a pair of tickets or something. And not realize that they're ordinary seats. Right, something but, like that. Yeah, I, I wonder what's going on with those. And I even see articles like, oh, my God, uh, this this game has million-dollar tickets. And I see it's just some joker putting that up on StubHub. And I, I guess they're getting the attention that they're trying to go for. But I wonder if any of those like crazy price tickets have ever sold to someone who just has a lot of money and isn't paying attention. Or uh, How do you even buy like a million-dollar ticket on StubHub, though? Like Nobody's credit card limit is that high. So how do you, how do you even do it? I have no idea yeah. how that's done. Yeah, that's kind of weird. It's like right now I'm looking on StubHub because uh, Fish is coming to Massachusetts next week for two shows. And, um, you know, I've been just keeping an eye on one of the nights because I don't have tickets. And I'm looking on here now and somebody has a thousand, $999 a ticket. It's like nobody's going to pay that. You know what I mean? Like they'll be sold at face value right outside the venue. But, you know, people got these things listed at like outrageous prices. There's a lot of people who use StubHub. It's funny because there's people on both ends of the spectrum. There's ones who are in a dream world that think that their tickets are so much more valuable than they really are and put the, put some huge premium on them. And they just won't lower them even though uh, they're clearly not selling. And then there's others who are panicking, especially when it gets close to the event. They panic and sell for way too little. And the fact right. that's that's how I got my NLCS tickets for pretty cheap, considering where I sat, was that right. someone panic sold, uh, especially because the Dodgers were down to nothing in that series, and they were afraid no one wanted to go. So, uh, and, and I heard that really happened when the Dodgers were down three one going into Game Five. Right. But anyway, let, let's get to the uh, the topic I was talking about before the the Diamond Flesh article. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought what she researched was very interesting, because she actually did what I've been wanting to do, but just haven't really had time. Right. Uh, and that was, she's been really, like, following up everything. She's been collecting the data on all the different people. I mean, not all, but, like, on different people's situations about who's been tagged as an affiliate incorrectly, uh, who was an affiliate that uh, also played. Uh, so many different things she did, and also made calls to Garden City Group for clarification. And she she made, I believe, 66 calls to them. <laughs> they must wow. have loved hearing from her. 
to, to find out uh, the answers to these questions that just weren't getting answered properly or that people were getting uh, different answers for. Right. So, so she wrote an article called Garden City Group, Comedy of Errors Are Still, Still Room for Redemption. And uh, she wrote, They have given out erroneous information both by phone and in writing, and no one in power at the company is willing to discuss those errors. They have, however, recently begun to backtrack and take steps to correct their mistakes. Now, that's what's been so infuriating with them. It's not just that they're making dumb decisions, but that they're telling you so many different things, you don't know which one's correct, and, and nobody who is uh, of any consequence there steps up and says, okay, I'm sorry, our phone, our phone reps said the wrong thing, but here's the truth. Like, there's just no one in power stepping up saying, I'm the final authority on this, this is the truth. They just haven't done that yet. So right. so she's saying that they're starting to backtrack, though, and take steps to correct their mistakes. So, um, of do, course... Do you, think that, do you think there's any chance that they'll, like, uh, extend this from, like, the 60-day window to, like, a 90- or 120-day window because, you know, because of all the mistakes they've made? They really should. Uh, as much as it's going to delay the process even further, they should because it's been such a disaster. Uh, so th- this is the newest update from them to affiliates, and the, the, the affiliate problem has been people who were called affiliates, and it turned out they really were you know, anyone who uh, made money by directing other people to play on full tilt and got a piece of their rake is considered an affiliate, and according to Garden City Group's rules, is not eligible to get a full tilt refund, even if you mixed your, your uh, affiliate money with your own poker money. If you played on the site... Let's say 99% of your money came from your poker play and 1% came from your affiliate business. You had a small affiliate business where you had like two friends as affiliates. Uh, you are not eligible, according to their rules, to get any of your money back, which is totally unfair. So uh, there were complaints about this. They were, they were totally not clear as to whether the affiliates are really screwed. There were even people who were tagged as affiliates that were not. So here's what their newest update said as of last week. Notice to affiliates of Full Tilt Poker. It has been determined that the affiliate of Full Tilt Poker will be able to submit petitions for remission to recover the portion of their account balances that does not relate to their affiliate status. Affiliate accounts have been flagged as such because the player signed up with Full Tilt as an affiliate. If you are an affiliate, you will be, uh, you will be able to submit a petition for the, for the portion of your account balance that relates to poker transactions as long as you meet the eligibility criteria. So, I won't read the rest, but it, the rest isn't that important, but they haven't made clear what poker transactions are, and um, supposedly people at Garden City Group have started to make phone calls to people who are marked as affiliates, but no one there who's making the calls is able to clarify what an affiliate actually is, like what, what they consider an affiliate, what makes you an affiliate, and um, you know what they're going to do from that point. Uh, there's also uh, they refer to what the uh, the, the problem affiliates. Um, what they call problem affiliates are ones that probably aren't going to get any money, such as ones that never played a hand of poker and only used their full tilt account to receive affiliate money, um, or or ones that uh, that that in some cases. Companies that agreed to receive their affiliate compensation via poker player accounts, even if one or more members of their company played poker too. So, so, yeah. so, so, for example, um, if, if you had a company, and let, let's say you played poker, but you also had a company account. So you had, uh, 
So, so let's say you were, uh, or your company had an account. So let, let, let's say your name was a poker player one two three, and you really played poker on there. But then you were also an affiliate, and you had an account named uh, affiliate one two three. Um, they're saying that. Um, why did some people have like two accounts? Like well, it seems like that's what's being implied here. That um, yeah. that that's at least um, it, that that even even though one or more members of the company also played poker, that the companies that received it on a specific account, right. that, um, that that maybe nobody can get anything. That that right. they're they're okay with people who were like individuals who happened to receive affiliate money and uh, their own. Poker play money on the account, but but companies were uh, where, where it was that way that that they just don't want to give it to anyone. Uh, then right. individuals that received compensation for full tilt for anything other than poker play and had it in their account. This means loans, gifts, salaries, distribution payments, bonuses, company buy-ins to live tournaments. That you know when they were uh, when they just gave you a, a tournament for free, uh, right. any kind of favor or or any. Uh, what they call hourly rate wages for online play, you know, any kind of extra rake back above the normal rake back for playing online. Uh, any of that, they may not give anything back to you. Right. Uh, individuals who mask themselves as affiliates to receive kickback payments. I'm not sure what kickback payments are, but they're saying that you, you're claiming you're an affiliate, but in reality you're getting some kind of a kickback payment. I think that's probably for the people that had, like, the you know some people bought like 100% rakeback accounts for like 25 or 50,000 so maybe it was like you know you pay 25 or 50 grand and you get 100% rakeback but then when that money gets put into your account it, maybe there's like a special thing that says like you know just the tra- where the transfer company you know what it's tagged as yeah that might be like a kickback or something like that i don't know but um yeah so, it's gonna uh, be a big clusterfuck. One 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 thing I was wondering is like, how would the how would this work? I have a friend who probably made a million dollars on there, but at the same time he was, you know, I think he had affiliate money going into his account, and his final balance was like seventy five thousand. So like, if he made, let's say he made seventy five thousand in affiliate money over five six years or whatever. I'm wondering if they would just say no. You got you know you made X amount in affiliate money even though he made like you know a million dollars in cash games. Like how yeah, well, that, that's what that. they're saying. They're saying you have to uh, say which which that that was what we, I was saying earlier about the whole thing about uh, what what they called it poker. I'm forgetting what they termed it now. Um, here we are. Poker transactions. So he'd have to claim I made this much on poker transactions and this much on affiliates, and they'd only pay him on the poker transactions. Right. So if you made twenty grand in affiliate and you have twenty grand in your account, chances are you're not going to get. You're not going to get anything. Yeah. Even if you made like a half million playing poker, they're just going to basically cross off what you made in affiliate, and if you have anything left over, you get it. Yeah, and then they're also saying that they're going to probably not give any money to super affiliates, the really big affiliates. Even if these people did play a lot too, that if they were one of the major affiliates driving traffic to, to Full Tilt, then uh, they're not going to get it either. Right. That's... So, so uh, and again, there's no definition for that. Uh, so, uh, Diamond Flesh said, this author has been able to identify some claimants that fit into each of the above categories. 
So certainly Garden City and the DOJ should be able to as well. Legitimate affiliates should always have been paid by invoice and labeled as a vendor, vendor and merchant to receive valid commission payments, assuming they operated legally. Some were, others, opened to op, opt, others opted to open player accounts just to collect such commissions. So, truthfully, I don't see anything wrong with these affiliates collecting the money via full tilt dollars. I mean, uh, to me, it's no different than any other kind of money transaction. I, I see why those people should not necessarily be eligible to receive the money. But they've got to be really careful when they deny money to people that it really is from affiliate payments that they've received rather than uh, poker poker play. Um, and then she wrote, for those referral companies that opted to receive their compensations via player accounts, it's unclear whether they will have any recourse. Sources have confirmed that U.S. authorities have taken the stance that affiliates cannot legally, by U.S. law, drive U.S. business to an unlicensed offshore company. So basically saying the affiliates are breaking the law. All the same laws that DOJ has used against poker companies and payment processors and others can be applied. So she's saying here that they could actually say that you really could not successfully sue them because they can actually lump you in with... The gaming company saying that you were committing a crime by doing this by being yeah, an affiliate. You're basically working for them. Yeah, and that, uh, and so that while they're not going to prosecute you, you also have no recourse to collect any of the money in your account since your money, your, your account was basically used to commit a crime. So they can just right. confiscate everything. You know, it's uh, it really is where they can confiscate when, when you get your money confiscating for confiscated, for example, uh, dealing drugs, uh, part of a drug transaction. You can't go to them later and say, yeah, you know, in that suitcase of money that uh, you you. You confiscated. Uh, some of that was my daughter's college fund. Some of that was what I made at my job last year. They're not going to... No. You, you bring money to a drug transaction. You get busted. It gets confiscated. It's gone. The, the, the state keeps it. So they're trying to say the same thing here. That uh, since being an affiliate was against the law, that they can legally confiscate your money. Which I don't think is right, by the way. I think they can confiscate the affiliate money but they shouldn't confiscate all the money. And as Diamond Flesh said, it's not that hard to separate one from the other. and It's not that hard to separate people into these different categories. Uh, what was really disturbing, later in her article, by the way, this is not about affiliates, but uh, listen to this one. Um, sadly, many representatives I spoke to at GCG don't have any idea what any of the above means. And and I, any of the above being uh, different categories of, of people who, who wouldn't be eligible. Furthermore, and for example, they have no idea what should be happening with claims for limbo funds. Limbo funds being... Uh, they didn't know, know what limbo funds are. That, that are that, that's funds that were going in and out of full tilt at the time of Black Friday. Yeah, these people that are working there are like clueless. They're like... It's like people they would hire off of... Um... You know, like temp jobs. Yeah. Like they just call a temp agency and say, hey, get us 50 customer service reps. They throw them all in an office. I mean, I, I called there once for a question that I had. I can't remember what it was, but, you know, I talked to the person. I was just like, man, these people are freaking clueless. So I can't imagine, you know, when they're getting flooded with calls, I mean, this, the, I think I asked them a simple question. They weren't, any, they weren't even sure what to tell me. Yeah, so, you, you call them up and you say, so, so what about limbo funds? They go, uh, the, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if if you're dead and you're in limbo between heaven and hell. I don't think you're entitled to any money. Right. 
you, yeah, you can laugh at this, but that's that's really something they would say. Like, they really have no clue even what limbo funds are. And those are, of course, uh, funds, like, let's say you, you were in the process of cashing out, but never got the check because of Black Friday. Uh, what happens to those funds? Or, or what happens if uh, if you had deposited and they never took the money out of your account, but you still have funds in full tilt? Let's say you, you deposited 1000 they gave you credit for 1000 your account overall has 6000 but they never took that 1000 out of your bank account. Are you entitled to 6000 now or 5000 Like they, they, they can't answer that. They'd, even if you explain to them what limbo funds are, they don't know. But here, here's uh, something else really disturbing. And that is... Uh, I just lost it here. All right, here we go. Uh, there have been reports that representatives have told players that called in that the players would have to chase down the payment processors on their own. That's in re- reference to the limbo funds. So they're saying, if, if you had a, a withdrawal coming out, and they subtracted that from your account, but then you never got the money, that you have to go find the payment processor and say, hey, give me my money. Which is crazy. If you right. never got the money, you never got the money. So right. that some representatives said that. Then some representatives, I like this one, had no idea what rakeback is. <laughs> This just gets so ridiculous, and uh, and even when it's been explained to them, they asserted that this would qualify as the player being ineligible. <laughs> Can you imagine that if they make everybody ineligible to get money from rake? If they got rake back, that means like no one will get anything. You like probably probably be like ninety nine percent of the people that file claims because I'd imagine like. A lot of those accounts with a dollar and ten dollars and even up to a hundred dollars, I mean, some of those people probably didn't even have rake back, and those, you know, and the people that played consistently obviously had the rake back. Yeah, so with the bigger so, accounts. So I don't, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but the, they're so clueless when you call in there, you actually get answers like, uh, oh, well, rake back, oh no, no, uh, no, if you got that, you don't get any money. You, you have, you have people answering the phone, they're telling you that, so that, that shows you the incompetence that's involved. So uh, then they claim not to have a list of any people that were defendants in legal actions brought by the DOJ or, or those that are the subjects of criminal charges related to the violations. Um, another that, that got called in uh, didn't know whether present employees of the new full tilt would be eligible, even though it's a different company, which uh, their rules said that you would not be eligible, but they never explained why. If if, uh, if they're the ones that sold Full Tilt to Poker Stars and it's now operating uh, legally with the U.S.'s blessing without Americans being able to play there, why should that make you now ineligible to play there? Just because it was a different company before. It was owned by different people. The government sells it, and now anyone who goes to work for this company the government sold somehow now can't get their refunds. Like They, they can't explain why that is. So, um, That's why I thank God that... They had everything updated, and everything was right on the money for me. It was like 10 seconds, done, and I hope the payment comes the same way. But I feel for everybody else out there that didn't have it as easy as me. Yeah, and uh, so listen to this one. Um, I called as a player one day and not a journalist. This was was, uh, Diamond Flesh calling pretending to be a player, not herself. I asked a simple question about whether a withdrawal that was never received would be added back to an account balance for payment. 
I gave the representative my correct name. I guess she she did call it herself, and and uh, she proceeded to tell me that the thirty three hundred dollars I withdrew on April twelfth was back in my account, and then proceeded to tell me what the exact ba- balance on the account was. Uh, it was in excess of twenty two thousand dollars. My account actually has less than a hundred dollars. That's crazy. <laughs> She gave me all of someone else's information and was about to ask me if my address in a certain state was correct when I had to stop her. Up until this time, representatives had told callers they did not have access to direct account information. So I, I guess what happened was uh, they must have looked up someone else's account. And, uh, and then she went on to, to tell this person all this, all, tell her all their information. Even though she gave her correct name. So like she gives some account name. I don't know which, I don't know if she gave her own account name or if she gave a different account and then said her own name to see what would happen. But whatever it was, she gave them her actual name. It didn't match what was on the account, obviously. And then they, uh, they're they telling her all this info to the other person. And that's after they've been denying all this time that they can even access this stuff. Uh, she says, on another occasion, I asked how many calls had come in on that particular day to a customer service rep. She said she said they need to have someone call me back, so I explained no. What I wanted to know is if you received a lot of calls that day. She still said she'd have to have someone call me back. It's unbelievable. I asked her in which of the Garden City Group offices was she working. She claimed that someone would have to call me back. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Finally, she wrote, I asked if today was her first day on the job. After hesitating for a full moment and putting me on hold, she said no. <laughs> so these are the people who are managing our money. These are the people who are supposed to get us our money back. Uh, is is your situation still not resolved? Oh yeah, it's not resolved at all. No, it's gone nowhere. How did it? How did it go when you have you called? I have not called yet. I probably should. I, I, I've just kind of, I've honestly been afraid to call, given these stories. I'm afraid I'm going to get myself angry. Right. I was trying. I was like kind of waiting for them to get their act together, but I'm starting to realize it won't happen. Uh, she, she wrote between April 15th and today. This author has had 66 phone calls with Garden City Group regarding outstanding questions and mistakes they've made. On more than 60 occasions, I would I was told I would receive a call back from the project management team. On one occasion out of the 60, a woman from marketing called me back. <laughs> she did not have any idea about anything having to do with the claims process or the full tilt business at all. <laughs> so I mean At a 60 call she got only one call back And it was someone from marketing From Garden City Group Who did, had no idea about the whole case uh, On one occasion she wrote A customer service rep told me Full Tilt Poker used to be in France And that's why our money was missing <laughs> <laughs> I mean they, they, they should make a comedy out of this it's amazing. They should. I mean, this this is crazy. I, I, I understand that people answering the phone are not necessarily going to be the ones processing this. But uh, still. Still. I, I mean, there's got to be some level of competence there which doesn't exist. The people answering the phone cannot answer basic questions. They say nonsensical things. While they shouldn't be privy to all the highest level decisions there 
when they know nothing like these people, when they're as dumb as these people, when they're as clueless as these people, that's a very bad sign for the whole organization. Usually when you find an organization where the lowest level reps are terrible, it goes all the way to the top. Right. So this is very bad news. They have no clue what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I admire uh, Diamond Flesh for doing all this work. And uh, she wrote... To those GCG company, to those GCG employees that are misleading players calling in for information, please do not ask them to commit perjury. Please stop telling them to make up false social security numbers to file their claims. Please stop t- discussing personal information regarding c- account balances and SSNs and email addresses with anyone that calls you without asking for any verifications. This is she's directing this to the employees there. Uh, please stop telling them whatever you think will make them happy, especially if you know it's not true. So apparently they're even giving out social security numbers, which is scary. I I never liked giving that uh, to these poker sites when I was depositing, and now I, at the time I'm thinking, well, I, I mean, I hate doing this, but I guess I have to. Uh, and what's going to happen? Well, th- this is what's happening. Yeah, they're the idiot reps there are giving out people's uh, social security numbers uh, without verifying anything. Please do not give access to the petition denied key to anyone who doesn't know what state they're working in. <laughs> it is perfectly acceptable for any business to tell a patron they do not know the answer but will get back to them. I guess that's that, what that woman was doing with her. She didn't even know what state she was in. Uh, ex- expecting someone to make that call back in less than six months is probably not asking too much. So Diamond Flesh is very pessimistic as to what's going on here. Unbelievable. I mean, these, like you said, it's, you know, it usually goes all the way to the top. The way I picture it is, whatever the Garden City group is, they just hired a bunch of people, gave them a bunch of stuff, and just said, here, take care of this. And they're probably out just, whatever, hotels, booze, uh, expensive dinners. And I think I mentioned this once before on the show. Um, somebody researched who the Garden City group was when they were picked. And they have a history of doing this, of, like, way overspent. They've, like, overspent on a lot of these projects yeah. that they've been paid to do. And, you know, obviously it just looks like they're a very incompetent company. Well, you see uh, you see where the money's going. They're, they're uh, spending a lot of man hours on determining what state they're in. Right. So Unbe- It's unbelievable. Yeah, so uh, not good at all. It kind of reminds me of the fail going on with the Obamacare website. I mean, it just seems like the, these government contractors, they just hire the worst companies who just make laughable mistakes and, and uh, the uh, these important matters that they're handling get bungled big time. And, uh, you know, someone wrote as a comment, and as, I know people have said this before, but someone wrote as a comment to this article, I still don't know why Americans couldn't be paid by poker stars. That's referring to when poker stars bought Full Tilt. It makes no sense. They had all the information. We know by now they can handle the extra workload. That's a good question. Uh, you can say, well, they have to go through the standard processes to distribute funds that were seized by the government. But that's not true. Because they, they somehow let poker stars do it to distribute their own money. They let poker stars pay their own customers. So why was that legal for poker stars to do? Why did the government give them the okay to do it? And yet they would not give them the okay to distribute the funds all this time later when they bought Full Tilt. Why, why does the time in between really matter? And it's true. If PokerStars managed it, it would be very easy. PokerStars would have everyone's data there. Right. You just hit withdraw. You'd, you'd enter the bank info. Right. It would ship it to your bank just like it was on Stars. 
and then that would be that. And yeah, but there's one problem: stars would have been stuck with all the extra money, and they probably didn't want them to profit. You know, whatever they paid for, like full tilt, they probably didn't want them to profit all the people's balances that they were, you know, that they would have had to pay out. In the stars situation, with their own money, you know, they had the money, their own money, so they paid it out. I just don't think the Department of Justice wanted them to get all these accounts with a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars in them. You know yeah, what I, I, mean? well, I was thinking maybe they could provide a report to the government saying uh, this is what we paid out, and uh, you know, reimburse us or whatever. Like maybe they they pay it out and the government maybe they pay the government first. Then they provide the reports to the government of what they paid, and then they get reimbursed the difference. Something to where they don't end up with extra money. There, there could have been a way to do it. Now, yes, they would have to trust that PokerStars' list is correct. But uh, I think the government, it, just like many cases, just didn't know what they were doing here. They were in way over their head with this process. They said, well, this is an asset forfeiture. This is an asset forfeiture where we have to return money to the victims. We've hired Garden City Group to do this before. Uh, they managed to do it, so they did it there, they can do it here. They don't understand this is such a more complicated situation that to deal with situations like these, you have to understand rake back. You have to understand affiliates. You have to be able to make the distinctions there. You have to be able to handle all these poker online poker community-specific issues. You have to have experience in the industry, and if you don't, then you have to be able to hire consultants who are going to work with you full-time who are familiar with it, that can guide you through the process. But instead, it looks like they're walking through it with their eyes closed. And and that's why... And then even worse, hiring people to answer the phone. I think they're making the mistake which I call uh, the Bodog mistake. The Bodog mistake is to make yourself accessible by telephone 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, which they aren't, but to make yourself overly telephone accessible, but then staffing monkeys who have no idea what they're doing. Right. And, and and just making people feel better that they can reach someone by phone, when in reality it's actually making the situation worse because the people you're reaching just frustrate you and give you wrong information. And I, I think that's what they've done here. I think they've just they somehow determined here that if there's people answering the telephone and just trying to answer questions, it's better than not having that at all. And that's wrong. If they're giving if they're giving out people's personal information to people who are you know, are not necessarily the ones calling, or if they are making mistakes, if they're telling people to write the wrong things or say the wrong things or submit the wrong things, they're doing everyone a disservice. And and the problem is, once these problems start to occur, it is very hard to reverse. It's not like the government's going to say, oh, we're firing you. Okay, Garden City Group, you're gone. We're going to hire a more competent company now. It It is such a long process to even hire a company for something like this. There's so much bureaucracy to go through, barring some kind of criminal uh, actions on the part of Garden City Group. They're not going to fire them. So we're stuck with them. And I I just wish that before hiring them, the government had some process in mind to make sure that Garden City Group was up to the task and didn't just use the fact that they've done this before for other asset forfeiture cases as evidence to themselves that they can handle this job. Right. What they should I mean, um, 
it's just unbelievable that they've had a year and they still don't know what any of this stuff means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of the literature they're doing, they have no, they, they don't know, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like I honestly believe I could have like handled this whole thing by myself with no employees in like two months. <laughs> I mean, that's, I thought the same thing. I thought if they hired me other than perhaps not being enough of me to go around to, to, Feel all the phone calls and, and all the emails and and anything that went wrong or people's disputes. Like, I, there's no way I could answer like like five thousand emails coming in about this because I'm just one person. But aside from that, it, it I could definitely direct the process. I, I could definitely write a good set of rules of who gets the money, who doesn't, or how to determine who gets the money. Uh, you know, steps to go through to separate poker money from non-poker money. By, by looking at people's balances through the tools available, the Full Tilt software. Like, I don't understand this. I don't understand where all this information went, because I doubt it got deleted. So this information was there on April 15, 2011. I don't know where it went. I, I think just Garden City Group is probably not accessing it correctly. And if, if some of it was lost, then they really are screwed in some cases, because uh, there's there's no way to prove it either way. But... They have a completely unacceptable process. They're learning as they go along. And as you said, someone like me or you who does not have any kind of um, accounting background, who does not have any kind of asset forfeiture background, could manage this a hundred times better than they have. Right. Because I think like 95 to 99% of this is just understanding the language. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all the language barrier on what means what and what this means and what, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, right, and, and what the right thing is to do for each if, for each circumstance, which isn't that hard to figure out if you think about it and, and know the industry. Right. It, it doesn't it's not it's not like genius stuff. You don't you don't have to be a financial genius to figure this out. You don't have to uh make a lot of really really tough calls. You don't have to uh come up with procedures that would require someone who's uh extremely good at this sort of thing. You don't. You just need someone with some common sense who understands the whole process, who understands what we're dealing with here. And they don't have that there. They don't have one person who can do that from what we can see. Right. The fact that they flagged, like, all these people that just received rakeback payments, I mean, (laughs) imagine how much time it's going to take them just to, from people calling in and whatever, just because they misflagged, like, the wrong people. You know what I mean? Just, like, something simple like that. That's why they should have hired somebody that had some type of poker background just to lead the charge here. You know, their group can be in charge, but they should have put somebody with some type of gaming background. Yeah, I don't understand. Why not hire, like, one person who is either um, a longtime employee of online poker who is in management or or hire a a player who seems pretty astute and knows what's going on? Like, hire someone like Kev Kev Math. Go hire Kev Math. Pay him a hundred grand or whatever. Which I'm sure Kev Math would be thrilled to take, and um, put him in that office full time. And every time you make a decision, run it by him. Say, Kev Math, uh, um, should we, if people are getting rake back, should they definitely get all their money or not? And then he'd say, <laughs> and he'd laugh them out of the office and say, of course they should. And they say, hey, Kev Math, if someone's an affiliate and they also played poker, but they also got affiliate money. Um, what should we do? And he would say... <laughs> and he'd say, okay, well, the, take the money they got as an affiliate, subtract that from their account, and pay them the rest. They're like, these are easy answers. But but you put someone there who understands all this. You put, What about the funds in limbo? Well, 
see if that processor actually paid the person or tell or have the person submit proof that they never received the money have the person uh, show all of their bank accounts as of those dates and show see if that money ever got received uh, and if it didn't then uh, credit it back to their account these are easy things but put someone there who understands what all these limboed funds are who understands rakeback and affiliates and uh, understands that just because you got paid as a vendor at some point for uh, doing some something for full tilt, that doesn't mean you shouldn't get any money back. Uh, someone who can tell the difference between someone who got a lot of full tilt insider money or who owned part of it, the difference between that and someone who's just a poker player that may have been paid one time 500 bucks for full tilt by some for something. So, like, it, this is not rocket science, and they're treating it like it is. So, but at the same time, they're probably looking to drag it out and make as much money off this as they can, right? You know, I don't even know if that's true. Yes, they probably are making more money, but uh, uh, this may be a case where they actually benefit from their own incompetence. I- I've actually seen companies before where they're so incompetent that they're making mistakes in the company's favor, but aren't even intentionally trying to do so. They just are, and it happens to benefit the company. Uh, like, 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 for example, a screwed-up billing system that bills the customer for more than they should, and a certain percentage of customers are never going to call about this and just pay, especially business customers. Uh, that's a case where they may not be trying to cheat people, but they are, and by not taking steps to to, to fix it, uh, people are getting cheated, even if it's not intentional, even if they have no clue this is happening by their own mistake in that way. Uh, they're gaining from it. That, that could be what's happening here. Is Garden City Group is so over their head and so out of it that uh, they may end up getting paid extra too, which would, be, which would right. be especially a joke. And I really hope they're at least getting a flat fee for this, but they're probably not. Right. So that, that's all for Garden City Group for right now. I'm sure we'll have much more to say about them. And my my situation is not resolved. I was hoping before I call in that maybe they would have uh, gotten their act together, but I, I'm engaging in uh, wishful thinking here. So. so now, what is your problem? You don't have a. They never gave you a petition number or something. Yeah, I got absolutely nothing from them. Even though I know they have the correct email address from me. Even though I've gotten other full tilt related emails since Black Friday, and uh, and when I did enter my info on their site to submit a new claim, uh, I should have had a balance showing on my account, and instead it said my account had zero point zero. So they couldn't find anything. So I had to submit all my own documents claiming why I had the money. But, you know, there was only so much I could submit. It wasn't asking me to submit hand history showing that, uh, you know, all my hands ever added up to this. It, did, it just, did you pull up the full tilt software and see, yeah, did, it, 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 it showed, showed your balance? It showed my, no, it showed zero. Oh, it that showed, showed zero, too. Yeah, it showed okay. two, everything showed zero. It did show my history. Of uh, of certain things, but it it uh, it all added up to zero. So I, I don't know how that happened either. That's crazy. I, and you didn't try and make a withdrawal like around April fifteenth. No. Wow. In I fact, wonder if somebody. I wonder if somebody in the company had it out for you or something, and just. No, there's a lot of people like me. What's that? There's a lot of people oh, in my oh, spot. Oh, okay. There's a whole lot of people like me. There's I was a... just saying, you, you never know if someone was like like Howard Letter, like, oh, that, you know, that that would tell us. You yeah, know? yeah, he called me a freak and a weird dude one too many times. I'm going right. to get back at let's him. Just, let's set him to zero. Yeah. yeah. No, um, as much as I'd like to say that I was a victim here and I was singled out for it, I was not. There's a lot of people who are in my exact same spot. Uh, so... 
but how this is the last question I have of this. So it has your account balance and it all adds up to zero at the end. But what about like the last few transactions? Well, the thing is, it doesn't. Here, I'll, I'll go on right now and tell you. I'm going to go on right now as we're speaking. I hope there's not a software update. Because like usually, my, mine went like not that they're all the same, obviously, but mine just went. You know, it had like withdrawal, blah blah, whatever, whatever, transfer, and then it just had the end balance. That's why I'm wondering if. Like, well, how, did they, how does it come to zero? Because they, you know, for all they know, I could have played and lost it all. I didn't, but, you know, they, right. it, it doesn't list every hand you play. But let me let me right. go on here. What the? Here we are. Okay. I thought I wouldn't like me. Okay, so cashier. Um, history. Past are you on the full tilt software? Yeah, yeah. Did you have, did you have them email you the file? Yeah, I got you know nothing. To... I got nothing. So yes, I have my my history here. Uh, for well, example, you had you went on the software and hit the request whatever, and it, they didn't email it to you. No, they emailed me nothing. Now I do have. I did hit. I do do that though. I got nothing. Um, now See, I, that's weird because I, I could go on there right now and click it and hit submit, and, and it will send it right to my email address in like within an hour. I'll have to try it again because I got nothing. Uh, what I do have here is my history of transactions, such as deposits. Um, it showed for whatever reason I made a, a small deposit on, on April 12th. Uh, it, it shows a $20 transfer I made to someone named Fetus. <laughs> See, but this is the cashier history you're looking at, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's the right thing you should be looking at. No, I know, but I went to request that thing the way I was supposed to. Um, okay. And, and it, I got nothing. I guess I could try again, but I got nothing. Okay, because I, I don't know, everybody I've talked to that's done it the other way has had, like, the file. The It's like an X, XLS file or something they send you. Well, I can try it again. It, it failed yeah. for me. So, uh, anyway, that, that's the story right now with, with Full Tilt. Let's talk about a, a legal site that is going right now. When I say illegal, I mean a legal site, not an illegal site. Uh, Ultimate Poker. I've talked about them before. Talked about the various problems they've had. They're now uh, competing with WSOP.com. I will admit that I've been a bit lax in checking how they've been doing compared to WSOP.com. Have you looked? I haven't looked. See if anyone in the chat room knows. I I probably should be checking this, but I I just haven't been. What? um, Ultimate Poker versus WSOP? Yeah. Yeah, I I think I read that WSOP's Starting to go up and ultimate poker starting to go down, but I'm not 100 percent percent sure. I think I read that like over like this past weekend or something. Yeah. By the way, someone suggested that uh, Chino Reem should handle the uh, remissions process. That he'd probably even do a better job. <laughs> yeah, he actually might. At least he'd understand it. He may, he may not give us the money, but at least we think we're getting it. So uh, anyway, ultimate poker. They've had problems. They were first to market. And of course, being first to market, you are going to be the guinea pig. You're going to be the site that has to do everything first, that has to make all the mistakes first, and everybody else gets to watch and do it better and learn from your mistakes. Now, I thought that that's a bit exaggerated in this case because online poker is not new. Online poker was not invented in 2013. It's existed since the 90s. So it's just legalized online poker. So in some ways, they're the trailblazers as far as uh, dealing with the Nevada's Gaming Commission and stuff like that, and as far as depositing, withdrawing, and, and all that. Some of that is, is completely new 
when being done on a uh, legalized basis. But uh, as far as the software and the gameplay and, and the customer service, that should be the same as the sites that have been doing it for all these years. You know, if you emulate PokerStars' model on those things, you'll do pretty damn well. People won't have much to complain about. So saying, oh, we're first to market, that's not that good of an excuse. But I will give Ultimate Poker... I, I cut them some slack because they did have to rush everything to get out first as far as you know building the software. They can't just magically wave a wand and software appears. It has to be written and tested and approved by the Gaming Commission, and if you rush through that, you're going to have problems. So they definitely did, and we've talked about that before. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that again here, but uh, what I will talk about is the fact that Ultimate Poker Pros have been abandoning the site. Within the last week, Tom Marchese, Jonathan Little, and Randy Dorfman have left Ultimate Poker as sponsored pros. Now, when you have three people abruptly leaving like that, it can cause some alarm. So this is what Jonathan Little had to say to Seriously Serious, who uh, listens to this show most weeks and has been a co-host here before. Uh, he now works for Bluff and does a lot of good interviews. Uh, what I love about Seriously Serious' interviews is that he knows the right questions to ask. He knows what we want to know because he's one of us. He's like part of our community. He's not just some, he's not like just some media guy. He's like a forum guy who knows what the forum members want to hear, who knows what the real inquisitive minds of the poker community want to hear. So he asks the tough questions. He doesn't just ask, oh, how did this hand go, how did that hand go, when he, when he interviews some poker player out on a tournament. So first he asks them the boring questions about the hand, and then he always hits them, well, not always, but if there's something relevant to ask, he hits them with a relevant question toward the end and sees if he'll get an answer out of them. And there's been some very uh, good interviews he's done as a result. Here's what Jonathan Little had to say. It's not very long at all, but uh, here's what he had to say about why he's not uh, with Ultimate Poker anymore. I heard recently that you uh, ended your relationship with Ultimate Poker. Can you tell us anything about how that happened or what, what's the deal with that? Yeah, there's there's not really much to it. We just did not renew our contract. It's that simple. There's no scandal or anything. We didn't renew it. So, that music in the background was the end of the video music. But, that, I don't know. We just chose not to renew our contract. Who is we? Is he saying that they dropped him or he dropped them? It's a really weird statement. L- listen to that again. Recently, did you uh, ended your relationship with Ultimate Poker? Can you tell us anything about how that happened or what, what's the deal with that? Yeah, there's there's not really much to it. We just did not renew our contract. It's that simple. There's no scandal or anything. Didn't renew it. All right. So he says that you just didn't renew it. It's never that simple. You just don't renew it. Uh, being a sponsored pro on these sites is like free money. It, it really is like free money that you just uh, wear the, the, the patch, have your name up on the website, and they pay you. Either in tournament buy-ins or, or they, uh, they pay you directly. The only way I wouldn't do it is if the company that I'm representing is shady. So if Lock Poker asked me to be one of the pros, I'd give them the middle finger. But, like, let's say Ultimate Poker wanted me to be one of their sponsored pros. They don't, but let's say they did. I would totally say yes. Even if I was a a bigger name in tournament poker than I am. I would totally say yes, because why not? Free money. 
I'll advertise them, whatever. You know, as long as I don't have anything against the site, as long as I don't think they're they're thieves, as long as I don't mind people going to play there, fine, I'd, I'd do it. I think just about anyone would. Uh, so why would Jonathan Little, who already has done so, it's not even like he's deciding whether to do it or not, he's already done so, he's already there, why would he say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore? Well, there could be a few reasons. It could be that they've decided that uh, the sponsored pro model is not really worth it very much. And uh, I have to agree with that. I've always felt that the sponsored pros get paid a lot more than they deserve. That uh, Especially the, the ones that aren't huge names like Daniel Negreanu. Like, I can right. see how Daniel Negreanu attracts people to poker stars. But I, I can't see how uh, even Jonathan Little, who's, who's a very good player... I can't see how there's a lot of people signing up to Ultimate Poker because he's his face is on the page. I, I just right. don't see much. I, I don't think he's earning his keep just by being a, fa- a face of, of uh, Ultimate Poker. So Yeah. If you're looking for a face, I mean, someone like Mike Matasau, something like that, you know, some average Las Vegas donk that doesn't even really play his poker, logs on there, they see his face, like, oh, I've seen that guy on TV. Like... 99% of people wouldn't know who Jonathan Little is. Yeah. You know? And and Sheets, who's in our chat, says, some sponsored pros ha- have some responsibilities that to some people at least are a pain in the ass. And, and there are some responsibilities about making appearances or, or playing certain hours on the site. To, sometimes it limits you don't really want to play. And, and I understand that. I, I'm just saying that from the, the standpoint of what they make the site, I, I think most of them don't earn their keep. I think it's not a good model for them for marketing and it's not just me who thinks this I know uh, Bodog took that approach that Bodog actually uh, uh, somewhat at Bodog I don't know if it was Calvin Ayer or someone else uh, wrote an article about how they thought that uh, most sponsored pros were a waste of money uh, so it's possible that Ultimate Poker realized this and, and wanted to give Jonathan Little a pay cut and he gave them the middle finger and said I'm leaving but it's also possible that uh, he wasn't happy with where Ultimate Poker has gone and decided to leave. And maybe he came to them with a a higher demand for money, saying, hey, you know, they're, they're having problems here, so I'm going to demand more money or leave. But I'm not going to sit at what they're currently paying me because I don't like the way things are going. Or maybe he just decided to leave because he didn't like what was happening there. Now, that's just one person. What about Randy Dorfman? We're just speculating right now about uh, Jonathan Little from that very uh, brief comment of his. Well, this is from Randy Dorfman. I don't have a soundbite, but this was from Randy Dorfman's Facebook. Now, keep in mind before I read this that Randy Dorfman loves to say just crazy stuff online in his Twitter. He he just loves to go off, and uh, so I I can't say that the statement I'm about to read is 100% true. He definitely wrote it, but I can't say that this is the truth as to why he's no longer there. This is his claim. Randy Dorfman wrote, I did not want to go public on my quitting, but basically it was about a startup doing everything possible to fuck up on many levels and upper management not taking the bull by the horn holding people accountable. Everyone in upper management has an incredible track record that most would envy, but I think they got swayed swayed with the politics of getting legal online poker in a state-by-state basis and not keeping their eye on the ball. There is still some time to right the ship, but management needs to quickly start listening to customers, pros, and take the bull by the horn with certain employees. Some good people work there, but some are just spread way too thin and not paying attention to detail at a critical stage in the company's development. Needless to say, the software is a total abortion and unacceptable on so many levels. They 100% need a plan B, which means acquiring or leasing new software to survive. I can go on, but we'll save it for the proper forum. 
So that's Randy Dorfman, who's basically saying he quit because he had no more faith in the company. He thought, yeah, there's some good people there, some people with very good track records, but uh, the, the upper management there is not prioritizing it right, and that uh, the few people who are trying to do the right thing there just have too many responsibilities and just can't get it all done. And uh, and they're just dropping the ball big time, and that they need to change software and aren't doing that. This, and he's claiming that's the reason he quit. He wasn't just editorializing; he was saying that he quit for that reason. Now, others were theorizing that Randy Dorfman is known for his dramatics, so maybe, maybe, Randy Dorfman was bitter that they didn't renew him or or wanted to give him a pay cut, and he's using this to save face. So rather than they wanted to cut my pay by seventy five percent. I'm just making this up. And rather than uh, they didn't want to renew me because they didn't really think I was worth very much to them from a marketing standpoint, they just said, sorry, we're not renewing you. And then he comes by and says, hey, I'm the one who quit. You didn't fire me. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened. It's very possible that Randy Dorfman really did leave for these reasons. It's also possible that uh, it's something more. And there's no way to know unless we really get some kind of evidence either way. I think he blew up on Twitter before all this happened about them dropping like 10, 20 games or something and how ridiculous it was. Like they pulled the 10, 20 games for a while. I don't know if it was permanently or if they're back now, but I think he was blowing up on Twitter about mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. Yeah, see, if, if he was publicly criticizing them, I could see where that was irritating them. Right. And I was thinking about it. I was like, this is a really odd month because they haven't been up for so long. But then I thought about it. They opened in, what, April? So it's been... So six months must have just come up. They yeah. probably... Most of these people are probably on six-month contracts. Well, yeah, that, that's what someone else said, too. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. That was said by someone in our forum. Uh, let me see who said this. Um, uh, Beer and Poker says, My belief, and I could be wrong, is that Ultimate Poker brought these pros on board with short-term deals. Six months seems about right. And now have realized they aren't succeeded in the way they've envisioned. The pros' names alone weren't going to bring traffic to the site, so keeping them is only costing Ultimate Poker money. This is just you know, guesses on his part, of course. So um, It's probably more than likely true. I mean, you look at guys like Jason Somerville. I see him tweeting all the time, like, doing, like, all kinds of videos and, like, uh, you know, like, training videos for Ultimate Poker and all that kinds of stuff. So they probably look at someone like him say, hey, you know, this guy, this is what we want, this guy's out there, this guy's promoting, and then you have the other, you know, some, like Sheets was saying in chat, you know, some people just don't want to do whatever their responsibilities are that come along with the job, and they're probably just, you know, some of these guys are traveling around the world playing 10K tournaments. What good is wearing an ultimate poker patch when you're, you know, when you're in London playing like the, uh, you know, some European event, you yeah, know? So. Yeah, and, uh um, what Seriously Serious wrote in that same thread was, I followed Dorfman on Facebook because some of his rants are hilarious. The guy has no filter even when working a job that arguably requires one. And that that could have been a factor very much that they, in addition to criticizing them, maybe they just thought, crap, this guy, this guy's representing us. He could say anything at any time. He's a loose cannon. Uh, we, don't, we don't want him associated with our company because eventually he's going to say something embarrassing for us. So maybe that, maybe that was why they gave him the boot, or again, maybe maybe he really left on his own. But we did have three different people leaving on their own. Uh, Jonathan Little, it was hard to tell from his statement if it, you know, how he felt about it. But notice he didn't say anything nice about them. He didn't say, I really appreciated my time there. Uh, they're a great company. I'm just uh, going a different way. Nothing positive at all. Just, well, we didn't renew our contract. That, no, no scandal here, just didn't renew. And I, I think I believe him. I think there was no scandal. But 
there's always a reason why you don't accept free money, and I don't think anyone is uh, currently patching up Jonathan Little to replace Ultimate Poker. He he may eventually get a deal, but I don't think he's been uh, he's moved over to the competition. So it, it does strike me as a bit odd as to why these people are turning down free money unless they think it's like an insult of what they're being offered now. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Let's say you know they paid me. I'm just going to make up these numbers. But let's say for six months they said we'll pay you twenty thousand to to wear our patch. They are sure free twenty thousand dollars. Sure, wear their patch for six months. At the end of it, they say, you know what, Todd? I hate to tell you, but um, we're not doing as well as we thought we were. And we found that these marketing efforts of sponsored pros are not really paying dividends for us. But we'd still like to keep you. But we're only had we're only going to be paying you seven thousand now for the next six months. Would I think that sucks? Yes. If uh, if another company was offering me more, would I take it? Yes. But if I had nothing else, if I had no other company I, I was representing and really no other company that was uh, likely to be rep- I'd be representing, and it was for some short term like six months, I'd probably take the seven thousand. Say, oh, it's still seven thousand. You know, it's still still money I didn't have before, and it's it's for something effortless. Now, if it came with some kind of effort, if it was like seven thousand to sit there and play, uh, you know, fifty cent dollar. No limit, uh, ten hours a week. I'd probably say no, because it would be it would be a hassle. But uh, I don't know. It may, maybe I don't think these guys like little were really doing anything. So yeah. if it's just to wear a patch, I mean, even if it's a lesser amount of money, and you understand they're not demoting you because of anything you did, but just because they can't afford it. If if it's better than nothing, why not take it? Uh, they should sign Ryland. He's been out there promoting, playing every day. He'd be the perfect pro for them. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, Ryland uh, isn't he moving over to uh, WSOP.com though? Hasn't he done that? I think he. I don't know if he's doing both now, but I think he's his next plan is to go to New Jersey for that launch and <laughs> see if he can run it up there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think Ryland should stay in Vegas where things are working. He's got the, the, the cam whores that he's uh, talked into uh, doing their own webcam work and giving him a cut of the profits, and he's, he's meeting all these girls in, in clubs that like the fact that he's six foot seven. I mean, Ryland is doing great in Las Vegas, according to his reports. He's even go, uh, taking road trips to Laughlin to have sex with Subway employees over there. So right. uh, I, I think that uh, Laughlin... I think if he starts with New Jersey, which is a very different place... I don't know if he'll have the same success. Uh, it, it, well, if Vegas has died down, then it'd probably be a good idea to try something new. I don't know how the action's been on those sites lately, but I know he did ve- very, very well. Like at least up until a couple months ago, the last that you know how he either posted or told me how he was doing privately. Um, so who knows? Maybe maybe he'll catch a big boom if he goes to Jersey for that launch and make some big money. Yeah, so Sheets is commenting a lot on this subject. He says in the chat, it's not just a patch, it's it's a certain number of hours playing, certain number of appearances. Don't forget, a lot of poker players play poker because they don't want to have to do what others tell them to do. And look, that's a great point, and I, I actually just mentioned that. If If you're getting paid not all that much money, and you are stuck with a lot of busy work, that uh, you're you're stuck playing at certain hours, you're stuck making appearances, and things like that, things you just otherwise wouldn't be doing, and you're like, hey, I'm p- part of the poker lifestyle, so I can do whatever I want, when I want, and and not be on anyone's schedule but my own. And if you're not getting paid that much, then yeah, it's not worth it. I agree. Even for me, it would not be worth it. Even me, as, as definitely not a big name in poker, if I got a sponsorship that came with a lot of crap I would have to do, I would turn it down unless the money was worth it. 
So right. if that's what's happened, fine. And then there's there's definitely no scandal, and there's definitely uh, no reason why the, you know these people shouldn't have left. But you had three leave at once. You had Little saying something that was kind of hard to decipher whether that was there's something behind it or not. But then you have Dorfman making those comments, which could just be Randy Dorfman being Randy Dorfman, or it could be more. You know, it could be that uh, that he he was quitting because he was frustrated with it, and it could be that uh, a combination of things. It could be that they wanted to lower his pay, and he and he said, "Forget it, you know, forget it." And by the way, you guys, I thought you sucked the whole time, and now I'm going to tell everyone. So right. it, it could be something like that. You know, it, it could kind of be like um, you dump a girlfriend that uh, at the same time wasn't all that into you, and as soon as you dump her, she's so bitter that you dumped her, even though she didn't like you that much. As soon as you dump her, then she trash talks you to, all, to everyone that you know. Yeah, and I've actually had that happen before in real life. You know, I've had it before where a girl I'm dating, like she could take me or leave me, but she wants to be the one to dump me. And if I dump her, then it's like an insult, and then she has to tell everyone how awful I am and 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 uh, try to make me look bad to anyone who knows me, especially when I was younger and the you know, girls were more immature at that age. So, right. so I mean, I could this could be the the, the version, the poker sponsorship version of that is what's going on with Dorfman. I don't know. I, I'd love to hear from him about this, but I'm afraid even if I did hear from him, it would be difficult to tell what the truth was. So. Maybe we should try and get him on radio. Yeah, we probably should. You know, he follows me on Twitter. I was just reading his Twitter, and I see he follows me. So, Yeah, I was going to say, I, he follows me, too. I would send a tweet at him and see if he's uh, he's available tonight. Yeah, all right. So, uh, you're in poker saying, females negative EV on so many levels. So, all right, so let, let me uh, move on to the next subject here. Uh, an internet gambling conference took place today, and I think yesterday also, in Philadelphia. Uh, let me go over to that uh, thread about that, and we'll discuss what happened there. Now, we got some good reporting from there via tweets from Marco Valerio, also known as the, the former partner of the Snake in the Grass. Remember Quad Jacks? Marco from Quad Jacks, same guy. He has separated himself from the Snake. And, uh, you know, Marco himself is okay. I, I don't have a problem with Marco. And I'm glad he finally separated himself from the, the snake, who was definitely a bad influence on him. But uh, Marco was there in Philadelphia and was tweeting things that were coming out of this gaming conference. Now, this is a conference for internet gaming, but not internet gaming for these foreign illegal sites or even legal sites that are not offering games to Americans. And it was not a conference for... Uh, um, it, it was a conference for the upcoming and existing legalized gaming interests in the U.S. is what it was for. And it, it was voluntary attendance. You know, it wasn't something that everyone had to attend or everyone involved was definitely there. <coughs> but, Excuse me. No problem. So, uh, some interesting discussions came out of it. Uh, this is an article about the conference. Gambling industry leaders and regulators will meet in Philadelphia today to discuss the future of Internet gambling. The World Regulatory Briefing USA focusing on iGaming begins at the Sheraton Philadelphia University City today and runs through Wednesday. That was uh, an article from yesterday. Local officials, including Cooper Cooper Levinson, CEO Lloyd Levinson, Spectrum Gaming Group Managing Director Michael Pollack, and State Assemblyman John Amadeo from Atlantic City are are expected to attend and take part in the panel of discussions. 
Planned discussions include a session on how online gaming can become a sustained revenue generator in state government. So it was basically a bunch of people getting together to talk about where is the legalized online gambling going in this country. Here are some things that were discussed. We can talk about them together here. Too many states want to lead internet gaming and too few want to follow along. All of them want to be the hub. All of them want to be the network and not the skin. And I've talked about that before being a problem with California and Nevada. California does not have legalized online gambling yet, but they've said if they do, they're not going to follow along with Nevada. They're not going to let Nevada run the whole thing and they're just going to be a skin. They said, no, we're going to be the network. We're going to be the center because we're the biggest state. We have one-eighth of the country's population. We're going to do it if we ever do. We're not going to follow anyone. Uh, Nevada feels that they should be the hub. They should be the center of all the online gaming because they have the most experience with gaming. So you can already see what's going to happen here. That everyone's going to want to lead and nobody follow. So that that was discussed and that could be a big problem. Yeah, that's uh that's it's not going to work if that's the way it is. Eventually they're going to, you know, it's going to have to be pulled for it to work the right way for everybody to maximize their money. You know what I mean? To maximize whatever they're taking in. Player pools have to be bigger. They just have to work it out where, you know, each state's going to get an even cut, or maybe like the one that that's launching it gets a little bit more. But it's not going to work if like like Delaware are they going to be on their own? Like that, that state's tiny. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that in a second. That, that's that's a good example. And uh, but yeah, I I think Delaware. I could see them be more willing to follow along, but I, I think the states that feel that they have any kind of qualifications to lead, New Jersey, right. Nevada, California, uh, eventually maybe New York or Texas, uh, ones that feel that they're big and influential in some way, either from the gaming standpoint or from their size, uh, are not going to want to uh, give up control to another state. Because uh, right. some states got to lead the whole thing if, they, if they're connecting to each other. Someone's got to be making the rules. Someone's got to be in charge. You can't just connect together and think everything's fine. So, that was discussed. Um, disagreement there existed at this conference as to how many players minimum are required online at a given moment. So, they, I don't mean the entire player pool of players signed up, but people who are actually online together at the same time. What is the minimum number you need for the site to thrive, or, or simply put... What's the minimum number of players you need online at once for it to not be a fail site? And figures were thrown around anywhere from 2,000 to 20,000. Now, how many do you feel is the minimum? Not, not what you'd like to see, but what's the minimum to where you could say, my site's not a fail site, we have enough players to where people will come on here and be happy? Well, if the states are smart and they can... You know, if they can minimize what they have working for them, they don't have huge overhead. I mean, you could probably profitably run a site with a few hundred people. Well, yeah, but but that's that's actually a different uh, subject, which we'll get to in a second. This is about for the players' experience, for the to make the players happy. How many people do you need on the site at once? Um, it really depends. Everybody's going to want different things, but I'd say the average. I mean, five or ten thousand, maybe. If people want, you know, if people are looking for big MTTs, you're going to need, 
you know, you're going to need a lot of players on there. So yeah, you gave a good answer. I mean, some cash game players might be happy if there's only five or 700 people on there because they're the best players, then they're going to make the money. So, I mean, it really depends on what what type of user you're looking at. My, my opinion on this is that it depends what games you're looking for. So if you're looking for one, two, no limit or 50 cent, a dollar, no limit, there's going to be always be games like that online. You don't need that many players on there to find one of those going because those are very common for the recreational player to want to play. However, if you want games running like 2040 limit, uh, 25, 50, no limit, 10, 20, no limit, uh, some of these mixed games, you need a bigger player pool because a lot smaller percentage of the players are going to be in these games. And if you only have 2,000 people online at once, you're not going to get a lot of these less popular games going very often. And that's going to make a lot of people unhappy. You may have people who are happy that can find a $1, $2 no limit game anytime. But those that don't like playing $1, $2 no limit, they either want to play higher or want to play a different form of poker, they're going to be unhappy when it's zero, 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 zero when they look who's sitting online to play. So I think 2,000 is low. I think 20,000 is high. Uh, I remember when Poker Stars had around 20,000, and Party Poker had around 20,000. Yeah, that's a lot of users. And, and they, they were very bustling active sites. So you don't need that many, uh, but I think you need more than 2,000 for it to be a good experience for players. I, I think your number of around 5,000, 5 to 10,000 is probably right. Uh, but, yeah. but of course it depends from player to player. If they're, if they're looking to do something that's most common then some people could be happy with you know, 300 players online. Uh, so there is a disagreement regarding that. And uh, the reason they're discussing this is they're trying to figure out, is it worth opening these online poker rooms, or is the market going to become saturated very quickly because there's just not enough players? Um, now, something we'll talk about after this is about Delaware, so I'll, I'll skip past that, but... Uh, um, in nine days, Delaware will be the first state in the country to have a full online gaming site. That is a site with not just poker. It'll be a full online gaming site. It'll be on October 31st. We'll talk about that shortly. That also was discussed at this conference, but that's a separate topic. I have a quick question for you. Um, so this is all for, like, state by state. Now, the only way to end this is if, if some federal bill gets passed, then, like, let's say WSOP.com, they can do it in any state they want, right? Provided the state doesn't opt out. I mean, it depends on the legislation. Uh, the legislation right. pre- presumably will have some sort of opt-out for states that don't want it. But, yeah, they won't have to. Uh, then it'll be regulated on a federal level. Then it won't be this f- fighting between states of who's really in charge. Then the federal government will, will have somebody in charge. See, that's where I think that that this is going to run into some big problems. Is all these states are going to get their own licenses, get all their all these sites are going to be up. Then if it gets you know it gets okay at a federal level, I mean, wouldn't you think each state would just bail unless they're like getting creamed? You know, if they're like not making money, then they wouldn't opt in. I mean, probably just say you know we're not opting in with you. We're just going to keep it on a state level. That's a good point. I never thought about that before, but that's a very good point. If if they're doing fine running their own games from, from a state level, uh, maybe they'll say, we don't want to opt in just because we think we'll make less money. <laughs> so, so right. like, like uh, I, I don't know. That's And the problem is no one really thinks about these things because they were just thinking for the moment. They're just thinking, well, we want some sort of online gaming right now. Like Caesar says, hey, we want to offer online gaming online poker, at the very least, to uh, 
wherever we can in the U.S. So right now it's only Nevada, then it'll eventually be New Jersey, but we want to do it in whatever way we can. We'll worry about the long term later. And you're right, this could really make it difficult on the long term. Uh, here's another thing that came out of the of the discussions. True Poker, uh, True Poker's founder, David Gzesh, G-Z-E-C-H, he's the founder of True Poker. He doesn't like saying that, but it's true. He is the guy who started True Poker back in uh, 2001. He says that $1.5 million in gross rake, gross rake meaning the rake they take in, not counting expenses and all that, but just the rake they take in, is needed to sustain an online poker room. Uh, and he's saying per month. I, I didn't mention that. $1.5 million per month in gross rake is needed to sustain an online poker room, which is a lot. That's a ton. Uh, if you think about that, uh, in tables that rake $3 a hand, that's 500,000 hands per month. In tables that rake a uh, dollar a hand, that would be uh, 1.5 million hands per month. Now, of course, you'd be adding these together, but that's still a lot. You have to have a fairly active site to get so that's that. Like, that's 50000 a day, right? Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do it. If, if, if you have active games running 24-7, you can quickly add up that rake online because it deals so fast, but you do need a lot of active, active tables at once. Uh, I don't buy that number. Where does the 1.5 million go? I see. That's what I was going to ask. I, I don't. I don't buy that either. I, I. I was thinking, where does it go? Once you have it all set up, I agree. There's a high startup cost to this, but once you have it all set up, um, there really is not that much expense. There's a little more expense than than the illegal rooms in that you have to uh, comply with all the regulations and uh, you know do all the work for that, but. If your room isn't that big, you don't need to hire that big of a staff. And uh, the, the servers themselves are not that expensive. I don't think you need $1. million in gross rake. And and that's really what you're... T- I mean, yes, you don't actually make $1.5 million because there's uh, a lot of expense in, in in administering everything. But but still, you, you make the, only way the majority is, is of it. If they're forcing you to hire certain people that are unneeded. You know what I mean? Like, under regulations. You have to hire this, you have to hire that, you have to hire this. But even that, 1.5 million. Yeah, the, someone's in the chat. Ask Mike on if uh, that figure is true. I mean, there's some small poker rooms out there that have been operating for a long time that certainly aren't raking that much yeah, money. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what where he's coming up with that. Especially the guy who ran True Poker, which uh, you know went for a long time without making anything like that. Uh, and Sheet said in chat, this presumes you're going to offer an all-you-can-eat site. For example, I'm surprised there are not sites that just offer tournaments or sites that just offer cash games. They could market themselves appropriately, and, and maybe that'll happen at some point. Uh, the reason nobody wants to do that is because they don't want to to turn away business that they could otherwise get. Uh, sites would rather have a bunch of zeros for the middle and upper limit games as long as it goes one day out of 30, because then they still make a little bit extra money. It, it costs them nothing to add those extra games there, uh, other than any technology to run different games that they're not uh, able to run. But other than that, once once the framework is there, to add tables is of no cost, and they don't want to turn away that business. But uh, they would have to cooperate in some way 
to where if they think the market just can't support uh, all these rooms in one place, then they could say, okay, you take the tournaments, I'll take the ca- the low limit cash games, you take the high limit cash games, we'll we'll all market differently, and not compete with each other. But that have to be like where, where all the competitors make an agreement that they're each going to take certain elements. And I, yeah, that, would, that would never happen. Yeah, I don't think it would happen. Always thinks they're gonna they can do it better than the other person. Yeah. Uh, so here here's another uh, related subject that came up. The big money in online poker. When I say the big money, not the big money to be made as a player, but as an online poker operator, is apparently in the small stakes games, not the middle and high stakes games. And when I say middle, I don't mean. Uh, I don't mean five ten no limit. I don't mean thirty sixty limit. I mean two four no limit and up. And, and as far as limit, I guess the equivalent would be something like a ten twenty limited up. So two four no limited up and ten twenty limited up, or maybe even five ten limited up. But uh, that two four no limit and above is said to account for less than twenty five percent of total revenue, and on certain sites, less than ten percent of total revenue. Yeah. That they make all their money from the small... I shouldn't say all, but most of their money comes from the small stakes games because that's where most of the players are. And yeah. uh, the rake is not that much higher at the higher games. If you think about it, like a, on a typical site, they rake for 30-60 limit. Max rake ranges between 3 and $5, which is a lot more than you know, the, the $1 they're going to rake at a lower game, or $0.50 cents they're going to rake at a lower game, but there's a hell of a lot more of those going. So that's why they're making so much more money. But they do need the upper games because the upper games are something that uh, people like to both watch and also look up to and that to think one day they'll get there. I can tell you from experience, um, when I used to play on Absolute Poker all the time, and I would pl- the game I played most on there was 4080 Limit. And... People could chat in the games even if they had no money on the site. They couldn't sit, but they could chat. I had a lot of people telling me that they were watching me play, because I was there all the time. I was playing so much. They were watching me play, and that they were telling me they were aspiring one day to sit with me. That they wanted to sit at this game, they just can't afford it. But they're hoping one day they're going to grind up from their uh, you know, 10 cent, 20 cent game, and one day be sitting at 40.80. And that was like a goal of theirs. That was what... That sounds like them. me. That's what I used to do. I mean, I used to watch you guys play like 30, 60, 100, 200, 200, 400 on Poker Stars, and, you know, you couldn't chat on there, but that, that's what I'd be saying to myself. I'd be like, man, I wish I, I could be playing these stakes one day. This looks really good, you know? Yeah, so that, so it's, so they decided that it was important to have these games there, the upper games, even ones that aren't that high. I'm not talking about the nosebleeds, but just the even the middle stakes games. So something for the lower players to want to shoot for. And uh, it's important just to have those running. It's like a form of marketing, almost. Yeah. So And especially, and of course, the really big games, they, they don't make very much on those at all, but uh, they're interesting for people to watch. It almost becomes like a spectator sport. And, it's, you know, you log on there, you watch some of your favorite players play ridiculously high stakes, and in the meantime, oh, yeah, you open up your uh, $0.50 cent dollar game and play yourself. So... Yep. It's it's important yeah. to have those. It's it's insane, like the amount of money they make, even off games. Like 
I played like three six consistently for like a year, and it, if you and I'd always look to see like is two four beatable, is one two beatable, and when you start getting below like three six limit, you get to two four. Like one two is where it, there's this humongous jump in the rake where it's like almost unbeatable. I mean, some people could beat it, but the amount of rake they're taking there, and then it goes even higher as you go down into those ten cent, twenty five cent. And the thing is, those games run like 24 hours a day when you get that low. So there's people just depositing and just paying huge amounts of rake. And, uh, you know, and they run constantly. So, yeah, they certainly make a ton of money from those games. Yeah. So that's what came out, that they that they really, the small stakes is what's going to make them all the money. And that's really where they're probably going to push most of the marketing. But that it is important to have the middle and high stakes, too, to some degree, uh, for the reason we discussed. Uh the last thing that uh, I wanted to discuss that came out of this conference today, this wasn't; these weren't the only topics discussed, but of the ones I saw that were being uh, relayed to the general public, the, these are the ones that were most interesting to me. Last one, online poker will thrive better if accompanied by a full casino. Now, at first you would think, maybe not. Maybe if there's a full casino there, Instead of just poker, people are going to blow their money on blackjack and uh, craps and slot machines rather than lose it in poker to to the good poker players. But uh, the thinking actually that came out of this conference and, and most people there is that it'll actually help online poker to have these because you'll draw in more of the casual gambler. If you have a uh, an online site that's only poker, if you're not that big into poker, you're probably not going to bother with it. Right. But if you say, hey, you know what would be fun? I want to play some blackjack tonight. And you play some blackjack, and let's say you run it up. You run up 100 bucks to 2000 You go, oh, man, I'm getting so lucky tonight. You know what? I'm going to sit and play some poker. Well, then you've right. got the poker right there. Then maybe you do want to take a shot at that, that middle limit game or that high limit game with that money you just won in the casino or off the slot machine or whatever. Uh... It brings people over It's there. 100% true. Yeah. I, I can tell you from Bodog when I used to play there, uh, I loved it during football season when people would come in with their football winnings and, and sit in my poker game and be terrible at poker. Yeah, the same thing on, like, Merge and Cake when they had all the sports books that some of them are on Merge now. I mean, you know, you know, people go there to either bet sports or do other things, and then they're like, oh, like you said, let's play some poker and... You know, the, they fill a lot of those games mm-hmm. where yeah, they're not wouldn't exclusively be saying, "Oh, I'm going to go play on Poker Stars and play like a high limit." You know, like I remember on Merge to get the thirty sixty games used to just fill with fish like constantly um, before they took some of that stuff away. But um, yeah, and and not only that, but uh, it doesn't just bring bad players, which it does. It just brings more players. It just yes. it just brings more people because people have more of a reason to put money on the site. They're already there, and once they've got the software open, then you're going to have a bigger player pool than if they only have a reason to come there to play poker. So it's not even just a matter of getting fish there. Even if you were to say that a lot of them won't be fish, which most of them will be, truthfully, but uh, even if you say a lot of them won't be fish, you're still going to get more because the, right. you're just going to have people with the software open. So they're saying that that's good to have uh, it, with a full casino, even though, though people will be losing uh, more of a percentage of their money than the casinos overall, uh, it's still better because it brings more people, and and you do ha- you will have the random fish that are going to win a lot of money in these 
casino games and then blow it at poker. So, uh, now, again, this was not a, a discussion among professional poker players, so that wasn't really touched upon that much. But the conclusion was just it will thrive as far as the number of players more if it's accompanied by a full casino. And, of course, the casinos are thrilled to have a full casino because they make more money. That's the whole point of this whole conference. 100% true. I agree. So these were the uh, the topics today. I thought they were interesting and, and uh, worth discussing on here. And uh, we'll have to see what happens. I, I, I think that right now these single-state rooms are not going to be all that successful. I think they just... I think there's going to be too many of them in New Jersey. I think even the four that are licensed right now, it's going to be too many. I think they're going to dilute the market so much that it's just none of them are going to be that active, especially people being used to sites like PokerStars, which just have so many games running all day. And these are not. They, they're going to, there's going to have to be some kind of cooperation or some kind of federally legalized online poker before we really see a return to anything like it once was. But... Uh, that, that's my opinion on that matter. So, moving to the next topic here. Talk about uh, Chino Reem. Who, as I said at the beginning of the show, when I was introducing the various topics we would be talking about, Chino Reem uh, has been a subject of this show a number of times. He was uh, accused most recently of uh, getting staked $111,000 to play the one-drop tournament this year at the World Series and then running off of the money and blowing it on Baccarat. So, a lot of bad things have been said about Chino. And um, he hasn't had to say that much about it other than saying, oh, I'm going to try to pay people back with whatever money I win, I'm trying to make things right. We've heard a lot of that from him, but we haven't heard that much as far as admission of guilt. Well, on PokerListings.com, there was an interview with him where he admitted more than he ever has before. Here's the article. Controversy has surrounded Chino Reem for the better part of his poker career, but he doesn't have a problem admitting he's made mistakes. The embattled Reem has been accused of not paying back debts and worse on 2 Plus 2's poker form. I've done some things I'm not proud of, he said in an interview with Poker Listings. I man up to it. I admit it. I try to live each day and make the best of it. According to... (laughs) And he keeps doing it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, no, I just lost the article. Where is it? Oh, here we are. According to Reem, the online rumblings aren't just hearsay. The things people say online are not necessarily all true, but there is some truth to what they say. In other words, it's all true. Uh, despite his troubles, Reem actually had a big score earlier this year when he won the WPT World Championship for $1.1 million. Even that wasn't enough to get Reem out of debt. I started the WSOP this summer with a 10-mile head start after winning the WPT, and I probably ended dead last, he said. That was nobody's fault but my own, and I realized that. So it sounds like he didn't pay a lot of people back if he's saying that. Sounds like uh, sounds like he got money and then tried to run it up even further to get it completely out of debt and chunked it off. That's my, my guess here. Reem is an uh, 
Engie and Les Baines for the WSOP Europe and has had a decent start to the series when he finished 22nd for uh, 6216. 6,216. That's going to do a lot for his debts. <laughs> I have this mentality that it's going to be okay, he said. I try to make the best of any situation. There's no point in being a pessimist. It doesn't help to think negative. It also doesn't help when you don't pay your debts. Reem looks up to fellow pro Eric Lindgren. <laughs> it really says that. A good, good, uh, good role model there. Uh, who he beat heads up at the WPT Championship. Lindgren also had some financial difficulties that he's still trying to overcome. E-Dog is one of the people I most respect in poker, he said. He's a great guy. He came clean and said that he had some issues. He's just trying to make the best of it. You can't knock anyone for their past mistakes. (laughs) I mean, if you can't knock them for their past mistakes, you can't knock them at all, because once you make a mistake, it's in the past. Right, so what, do you just keep making mistakes, and then you just can't knock them? Yeah, you can't (laughs) knock me. That happened two seconds ago. Right, what do you can't knock him their past mistakes? They tell that to the people that uh, he cheated out of money. Uh, he's a great... Or sorry, for the time being, Reem said he's concentrating on getting out of debt, but he doesn't want to play poker for his entire life. What else is he going to do? I, I, I play because it's what I'm good at, he said. For me personally, I just want to finally get out of debt and then figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. Reem said that he's disappointed with how he's reacted after making the big, the various big scores of his career. I keep saying that I'm going to try and change, but let's be honest, I haven't really done that fully. It just takes a lot of trial and error for someone to grow as a man. For me personally, it took a lot of trial and error. And, uh... So... That's, uh... It, it's amazing that, uh... He's saying that... It took a lot of trial and error. Like he learned, that he just had a recent score of 1.1 million, and, and he admits he screwed that up. He doesn't say specifically how. I think he paid some people out of that, and then another score that he had. But then that one drop thing—I don't know if that's confirmed true. A lot of people are saying, "Yeah, it's confirmed true," but I don't know whatever. But I mean, he got—if he, he got staked 111,000 or whatever it was for the one drop, and then dusted it all off in the in the pits or something. I mean. You, he, basically, he's telling us we shouldn't knock him because, you know, that's... It's in the past. Know, <laughs> that's one of his mistakes in the past, which is, like, absolutely... It's unbelievable. Well, he says, I started the WSOP this summer with a 10-mile head start after winning the World Poker Tour, and I probably ended dead last. That was nobody's fault but my own, and I realized that. So maybe that's referring to stealing the 111000 uh, from from Guy Le Liberté, or it, maybe it was that he didn't pay back enough of the 1.1 million, or maybe it's both. It, it, I would think if he really paid a lot out of that 1.1 million, well, a lot probably went to his backer, but if he paid most of the rest of it to people he owed, you think he'd be making a bigger deal about that, because at least he could point to that and say, hey, look, I hit 1.1 billion, I kept almost nothing for myself, and I didn't lose it gambling. I just, uh, I, I, I get, paid my backer first, then I, I paid people I owed, and kept almost nothing for myself. And then I made some other mistakes after that. Like, he didn't say that. So, now, it could be that he, that's kind of what he means. But but who knows? It's unbelievable. Somebody somebody said on, like, 2 plus 2 or something that he robbed that 111000 or whatever, and then, like, two days later, Ivy staked him in, like, a 5K event or something like that. <laughs> so, I mean... Well, he was... Yeah, he. I'll tell you, right after that happened, this is the weirdest thing. Right after that happened, he was in some, like, 1500 no-limit event. 
I know he was there because I saw Poker News was reporting he was in the event. I was actually in the event too. That was an event where uh, I lost like every single hand, and then I, I went all in with uh, aces against nines, and a nine flopped. And, and the whole pre- the whole table predicted a nine would flop because I'd been running so bad, and then it did. So, uh, but anyway, Chino was in that event, and during that event, they were having the final table for the one drop event in the background. So he was in the room where the final table was going for the one-drop event where he allegedly stole 111k and was playing in a different event that someone obviously backed him in, even though it's only 1500 And uh, SimpDog saying in chat, he gets staked due to results. And that's the sad thing, is that people stake him because uh, I don't think the people he's ripping off are the stakers. I think it's people he's borrowing money from that he's stealing. So... Right. So what what he does is he goes and says, hey, look, I, I don't cheat my backers. If I cash here, you can show right up at the cage, and I'll pay you right on the spot whatever percentage we agree to. You know, if you don't believe me, hang out with me during the whole tournament, and the second I, you know, don't leave my side, and we'll go to the, the cage together, and we'll do it. So so, so the, the backer's like, hmm, well, Chino Reem's a good player. He does very well in these tournaments. Uh, you know what? Fuck the poker community. I want to make money. So he backs him, and then you know, if, if he does well, they're like, "Oh, great! Well, look at this!" And you know, and when he has these like one point one million dollar scores, that just encourages other people to say, "Oh, well, now now I know what to do. Just just back Chino and just stick to him like glue. Make sure he pays me when he cashes, and f everybody else." And that's the sad thing is the poker world. Everybody's selfish. I shouldn't say everybody, but most people. A lot of the people are selfish. A lot of the people just think about how can I make money. They don't band together and say it'd be best for the community if nobody ever gives Chino money ever again and he just gets shut out and he can't ever play again. Like, there's no way that could ever be done. You'll always have a few people who want to take a chance on him so they can make money off him. Yeah, some some of the people staking him, he might owe them money too. I mean, you know, so he might owe someone 50 or 75 grand and they might say to themselves, the only way I'm going to get this back is to stake him and have him win it. Cause, yeah, you know. That's true too. That's, that's also true. Uh, that people. Could say, hey, yeah, that's the only shot I have of getting it back. Make an agreement with Chino. I'm going to stake you here, but if you win, I keep this percentage, and you also pay me what you owed me previously. And Chino's like, all right, as long as I get in the tournament. See, I don't know how he can play. Like, I know I couldn't. He must have a weird brain makeup to be able to, you know, play a tournament. Like, let's say you play a five thousand dollar tournament, and first prize is eight hundred thousand, and if you win the tournament, you know. You're you're gonna receive like very 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 little of that if any you know after paying your backer and then you know you have 25 people waiting for you at the cage yeah like, it, it is weird uh, on one hand it could actually help you in a way in that it can make you more fearless uh, I remember this one tournament I played uh, at at the crystal the Crystal Park Hotel in Compton really was in Compton like a thirty dollar buy in with a few rebuys and. Uh, super ghetto tournament. I was only there because there was this uh, radio promotion going on there, and I knew the host of the of the radio show. So I played it and I won, and I won partially because everyone sucked, and I won partially because I ran really well, like I, I cracked aces with pocket fours all in and things like that. But uh, there were some moments where I just like went all in with a hand that I I, I may not have gone all in with if it was a World Series event. And not just because the competition wasn't as good, but because I, like, I didn't give that much of a shit if I, I won or lost. So I, I was much more reckless with... I, I was much more willing to put my chips on the line and be more aggressive and just uh, say, hey, you know what, eh, I think I probably have the best hand. All in. 
and not think, oh, wait, what if, what if I shoot off my whole stack on this? And like the, honestly, those thoughts go through my head at the World Series events. Um, like, when I go all in, I think, oh, man, what if, what if I do this and someone's got a monster and just snaps me off and I could have just saved my chips? Like, I, it, it's hard to get that out of your head when, when the event matters to you. When it doesn't matter to you, you just do it. And if you're running well enough, or if the players are scared enough, you, you, can, you can beat them. And I know I did run people off some better hands than what I had because of my aggressiveness and bravery there, which I probably wouldn't have had if it was an event that mattered more to me. So maybe that actually helps Chino play better. I know he's an aggressive player. Now, you can be stupid aggressive and, and run into monster hands and throw your chips in stupidly. But uh, sometimes not caring can actually help at a tournament because it, it erases your nervousness and erases your uh, unwillingness to gamble. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've heard the same thing about Carlos Mortensen. That he's backed, and he got so far in makeup that you know he just splashes around so much early in the tournaments and doesn't care, and that's why... He gets a lot of deep runs when he starts picking up chips, you know. He just it's easier to you know, if you get a lot of chips early then, you know, you can do a lot with them. Yeah. So I heard he has a lot of like, you know, go run it up quick or go home mentality, especially like when he's in makeup. Yeah, you know, uh Baron Poker brought up a good point in our chat room. Who's paying for Chino's travel costs to France for the World Series of Poker Europe? That's a good question. I I, I assume it's whoever's backing him, but uh I mean, that costs money too. That's it, expensive to travel to France. It's expensive to stay in France and to eat in France. These trips get very expensive. It, it's not like they're backing him for local Vegas tournaments. I mean, this is uh, expensive stuff here, and that's that's why I felt that people who go on the tournament trail and start going to other countries, uh, I don't know how many of them could really be winning players unless they're just spectacular with these tournaments because there's just so many other expenses involved beyond the rake. It, it's one thing just to have to beat the rake, but to have to beat the travel costs, it's, it's very tough. And yeah, some, of these, sure. some of these I'm places sure got, are very expensive to go to. Yeah, I'm sure someone put up a plane ticket. He's probably crashing in their room. Plus, there's a bunch of events at the World Series of Poker Europe. So, I'm, I mean, at least he gets multiple shots, not yeah. just like one tournament. So. That, that is true. Uh, by the way, TMMLK, I don't know why I'm doing this. He wants a shout-out. And I, I guess it's better than him calling up and, and disrupting the show. So I'll, I'll give him a shout-out. TMMLK, who's, who's returned, a, a huge fan of, uh, of the previous radio show I did. And, and then vanished here for a while after being a, a good fan of this show, then disappeared inexplicably. This was a guy who scheduled his life around this show. This was a guy who would not miss an episode. This is a guy who, who told his girlfriend, we can't go out because the radio's on tonight. And then, and then he vanished. I don't understand how people do that. Or they go from like obsessed with something to abruptly not caring anymore. I think bad guy gave him such a beatdown that <laughs> he just disappeared for a while. You know, it's yeah. like the bad guy disappears you, too, but I think for different reasons. Right. It's like going to a club and you know you're having a great time there for a couple of years, and then one night you get jumped when you leave, and you just don't want to go back. <laughs> yeah. So. So and there, there's your shout-out to MMLK. Okay, don't complain that uh, I never do anything for you. So, uh, here's someone who definitely had something done for him, and that is uh, Tom McAvoy, who got elected to the Hall of Fame. Tom McAvoy, Poker Hall of Famer. <laughs> and... Uh, Here is a list, once again, of the nominees to the 2013 Poker Hall of Fame. Uh, 
Chris Biorin, Humberto Brenes, David Chu, Thor Hansen, Jennifer Harmon, Mike Manisau, Tom McAvoy, Carlos Mortensen, Scotty Nguyen, and Huck Seed. And uh, here are the requirements. Here's the criteria for voting. A player must have played against top competition that is acknowledged to be top competition. They have to be 40 years old or older. They have to have played for high stakes. They have to have played consistently well, gaining the respect of peers. They had to have stood the test of time. And now here is what I call the Vin Scully rule. As much as I love Vin Scully, this is uh, something I have to criticize. The Vin Scully rule for non-players contributed to the overall growth and success of the game of poker with with indelible positive and lasting results. So that's like an out to elect people who don't really belong in the game, in the Hall of Fame, is say they did great things for poker. And you don't have to be that specific. So, I think there should be different Halls of Fame. I think there should be at least two different categories within the Hall of Fame. There should be players and community members. So if you want to honor people who did good things for the poker community, that's fine. You can let them into a poker community Hall of Fame, but a different Hall of Fame, or at least a different category of it than players, but that's not the way it is. They just have this list that I read to you every year, different names on the list, and then up to two, zero to two people are selected every year. So this year, Scotty Wen made it, which is fine. Uh, He's accomplished a lot. 11.7 million in career caches. Uh, 19 WSOP final tables, 8 World Poker Tour final tables, 5 bracelets, fine. You know, the the guy can be a jerk sometimes, but uh, no doubt he's a great tournament player. And uh, also a, a famous name in poker. Everyone knows Scotty Wynn, so fine. No objection to him being accepted into the Poker Hall of Fame. But Tom McAvoy, what has he done? Well, even the write-up, which talks up every player that was nominated doesn't say very good things. One word to describe Tom McAvoy would be timeless. The 68-year-old four-time World Series of Poker champion has led a sterling poker career spanning five decades. Originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan, McAvoy left a career in accounting in the late 70s and moved to Las Vegas to pursue his ambition on the felt. That ambition led him to victory in the 1983 World Series of Poker main event 30 years ago. I'm throwing in the 30 years ago to show you how long he's been. A consummate tournament player, McAvoy has posted consistently solid results for more than 30 years. His amicable nature and love for poker made him a true ambassador for the game as he competed in countless tournaments across the country. Notice it's not saying how he did. He just competed in them. He was just a participant. In addition to his tournament success, McAvoy is also credited with spearheading efforts that now prohibit smoking in poker rooms. He's also a noted poker author, having penned over a dozen strategy books and countless columns for card player. Well, at the time of the nominations, I gave my opinion on all the different people, whether they belonged in the Hall of Fame. I gave no, maybe, probably, yes, or hell no. There's only one person who got a hell no, and that was Tom McAvoy. What I wrote at the time, this is before he was elected, I'll give this guy credit. He won the World Series of Poker in 83 when the field was very small and has parlayed that into a 30-year promotional career based upon that one hit. 
Do you know Jack Keller, who won the next year in 1984? Probably not. Tom is a great self-promoter, but he's done very little at the poker table, and in fact wrote at one point that he felt overmatched by the invasion of young players in the 2000s. He really wrote that. So, this is somebody who, the the only thing I, I can give to him is that he took something a long time ago and made it relevant today. He didn't just become a footnote from the early 80s. He actually said, hey, I'm going to take the fact that the World Series of Poker got big and I'm going to say, hey, look, I'm Tom McAvoy, World Series of Poker main event winner. And I'm going to write books and you're going to read them because I won the main event. doesn't matter if this is 30 years ago and poker was different then and the field was tiny compared to today. I still won the main event. And you're going to read my book. And you know what? People bought the books. And I'm Tom McAvoy and I'm going to do uh, live poker training classes with the Maven. He does, by the way. And and people go to them. People go, okay, I, I want to learn poker from Tom McAvoy. And they pay a lot of money for it. Great! You know what? They, he's done a, a fantastic job in marketing himself. No question. I, I, I can't think how he could have done it better, given that you know the really only notable thing he's done was win the main event 30 years ago, when it was a small field. So great. He's made a living from self-promotion. And I'm not going to take that away from him. But that doesn't bring him to the Hall of Fame. It's, it's nice that he helped push to get smoking out of the, the poker rooms, but that doesn't mean he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I can't believe this, and what I really can't believe is he got elected over guys like David Chu, who uh, are acknowledged to be great players. David Chu is the all-time limit hold'em uh, cash leader in the World Series of Poker. He also has bracelets and stud in 08. He's cashed 7.7 million since 96. He's just someone who's uh, acknowledged to be just a really good player. Everyone respects his game, David Chu. Kind of quietly does it. He doesn't uh, put a lot of theatrics on. He's not this crazy guy at the table like Scotty Wynn. He's not loud like Phil Hellmuth or Mike Mattis. He just quietly plays and wins. He did not make it, but Tom McAvoy did. Mike Matisau, who has a lot of accomplishments, 13 World Series of Poker final tables, 5 WPT final tables, 4 bracelets, uh, he didn't get in. Uh, no Huck Seed, no uh, Carlos Mortensen. So, the least worthy one out of the 10 got elected, and I thought this happened, I thought he got nominated as a favor. Because the, the Hall of Fame is really run by poker's old school. I thought because they've known Tom for a long time, he's been around the community since the 70s, they wanted to do something nice for him. So they nominated him and figured he doesn't get in, but you're just happy you have been nominated. And you can tell everyone I was nominated for the uh, Hall of Fame in 2013. I never would have guessed he would have been elected. And nothing against the guy personally. I just can't understand this. And this uh, this really shows that uh, there's no transparency to the process and there's no there's no um, real process to it that makes any sense. And here's some things that were written in the thread about it. Uh, Seriously Serious commented on it because he, he felt this was an outrage too. He said... Um, 
Word on the street is that the player vote got McAvoy in. Voters are a 50-50 split between Hall inductees and media members. A lot of the media vote probably got diluted between several nominees since there were arguably so many deserving candidates. Most of McAvoy's votes likely came from friends of his who felt bad that he got shut out the last four times on the ballot. So I guess he's already been on the ballot before. I didn't even know that. Uh, this was part of Helmuth's reasoning for voting for him when I asked him how he distributed his vote. So I guess Helmuth voted for McAvoy. Nobody seemed to acknowledge that this was also Scotty's fifth time on the ballot, but perhaps that was a factor for him as well. Personally, I think the system has a lot of flaws and should have more transparency. That came from Seriously Serious. And um, he also wrote, Just yesterday I asked someone who's worked for Poker Media for several years why Linda Johnson is in the Hall of Fame. His answer was something like, uh, Well, she, uh, she co-founded the TDA. So that's another one. Linda Johnson, who's been you know, a friend of all these old school poker players. Nominated into the Hall of Fame. So... That's the problem is that you ha- you have these the player vote, and I would say the player vote. I don't mean like they put it up on uh, uh, you know, WSOP.com or something for fans to vote. I mean players who are in the Hall of Fame. It's a bad voting process. Yeah, who get to vote for their friends? And uh, of course, if they're most mostly all old school players are in there. So I mean, they're going to play favorites. Yeah, and I think seriously, serious has a, a great theory in that the media. They voted kind of like the same way I would have, where you go through the list of ten and go, who's the most deserving, and you pick two. And there's because there's a lot of them that are fairly close in, in, as far as uh, whether they should get in or not. There's not two very obvious choices there. So, like I picked out of that list, David Chu and Scotty Wynn, but but uh, I could easily see people going many different directions on that. Right. And and so that's what happened. They probably went a bunch of different directions, but as far as the player vote, McAvoy probably overwhelmingly won. Because his friends voted for him, and there he is. It's just a, a messed up process, and you, you don't get to see who voted for what, and and uh, you know, it, it's just really stupid. And like when I talked about the Vin Scully rule, Vin Scully is in the Hall of Fame, but did Vin Scully hit a lot of home runs? Did he strike a lot of people out or win a lot of games? No, he's not a player. Vin Scully is a broadcaster. He was never competing with players as far as getting elected to the Hall of Fame. He got elected to the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. So I don't have a problem with people who are perceived to have helped the poker community having some kind of separate category in the Hall of Fame. But they've, they've right. got to separate it. They, they can't put this, this last rule in there where you have to do all these things, but if you don't have any of this stuff, you could also have been a good community member. Right. Yeah, well, Vince Scully, I mean, at least, what is he? He's broadcasted for 70 years. That's pretty big. <laughs> or whatever many years, I mean... Just hanging around like McAvoy did for thirty years, really doing nothing like nothing groundbreaking. It's like a it would be like a one hit wonder in the eighties, like uh still you know, getting by right now on the one hit they had in music and then somebody just throwing them in the rock and roll hall of fame, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh it's crazy. And here uh speaking of something else crazy, let's get this over with. Caller, you're on the air. Good evening. All right. So, um... Well, first of all, am I on air? You're, you're on air. I, I just don't even know what to say. Go ahead. What would you like to say? Yeah, shout out to, um... What's that guy's name? Uh, Simtog. See, you called up just a shout out to Simtog. 
Is that? No, I want to talk to you about how you said I was obsessed with radio. And you, you were. It's not true. Well, you're not. I, I admit that you disappeared for a long time, but for a while you were very obsessed with radio. Well, I was, but I think that has changed a lot. Fuck you, hockey guy, you troll. <laughs> Who is this guy, anyways? He's like a an, like an O thirteen member. O thirteen. Well, um, hockey guy said, "Go fuck yourself, Team MLK," in the in the chat room, and that's what uh, Team MLK is not very happy about. Well, these people they sign up in two thousand and thirteen in October, and and they troll the thread over me. Like, uh, show some respect. For well, hold on. I, I want you to uh, address Kev Math. He said, "What about Poker Pete?" Well, Poker Pete's gone now. He's he's vanished. You can still give him a shout out. He might be listening. I doubt it. Well, you when can. When Poker still... Pete comes back, I'll give him a shout out. I, I think he deserves one anyway. Well, I don't know. Well, well maybe next week. Okay. Do you have anything more to say? I, I wanted to just take this call well, and hold get on. it over. Mike, on relax. Hold on. Why are you trying to snap me off again? We already had. Well, this I'm, I'm waiting for you to say something that's interesting. Well, what do you want me to say? Say something. Oh, that... shout out to Don Crusher. What, what? Why are you calling? What's the reason for the call here? Because I call in every week. All right, that's a great reason. Th- thank you for your call, Timo. Okay. It's kind of like you're Benjamin. No, like nothing like Benjamin. No. He's like, okay, I've heard enough. Timo, okay, when you have something to say, call back. You, you just call in with no agenda. You call over and over and over again, and you wear me down, and I take the call, and then you have nothing to say. You have random shout-outs to people in the chat room. All right. So, uh, people want me to call Tom McAvoy. I, I've gotten that suggestion. Should we call Tom McAvoy? I, I don't want to call him up and be a dick and say, you know, you didn't deserve the Hall of Fame. But should I just call him and, <laughs> and say... Um, how do you feel about your Hall of Fame? Should I just do it? Just uh, That's a, yeah, if you want to. All I right, mean... let's do it. Let's let's take a flop with this. Let me get the get the phone number. We're gonna call Tom McAvoy and uh, see how he feels about his election to the Hall of Fame. I wonder if he even knows about this show. He might. I mean, he pays attention to some of this stuff. I mean, you used to didn't didn't um, on the last show you had with uh oh go ahead yeah we we, we had him on right I don't think he knows me very well though he probably won't answer he probably uh, thinks who's calling me from this weird number nine thirty at night. A lot of rings. Hi, you reached Tom McAvoy. I can't come to the phone right now. Please leave a message if it be. Well, lost, lost China Maniac, too. Hang on, let me get my co-host back. Embarrassing. Anyway, I was going to say... Okay, I'm back. Oh, oh, they're saying he's... Uh, I just got an update here. Tom McAvoy is actually 5 out of 30... He's fifth place out of 30 people in the World Series of Poker Europe, Maine. I hope he ships this thing. 
can't believe this. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. It would silence the critics. You know what yeah. this reminds me of? This reminds me of, and some of you know this story, with Liz Liu, who pretty much doesn't play anymore. I don't know what happened to her. But Liz Liu, when she faked winning a commerce tournament that I was in, it was a limit tournament. She had no tournament wins under her belt, but she was trying so hard to get herself established in in the poker media as like a professional poker player. And she was trying to use her looks, and, you know, the fact that she's a girl and all that. She was trying to get a lot of uh, press as a pretty girl poker player, but she had no tournament wins under her belt yet. So we were in a commerce limit tournament, and at the final table. I made the final table as did she and for a long time nobody was getting knocked out and as you probably know in limit tournaments especially in in small limit tournaments especially especially when nobody gets knocked out the blinds get so big that it becomes like a card catching contest like as long as you don't make a big mistake it's just a matter who gets the better cards as to who wins so sadly I got the ass end of the cards and I went out eighth I wasn't bitter about it I mean that's just what happens so uh I leave, and then later that night, I think, I wonder who ended up winning this. So I go online, and back in those days, they were like, uh, I think it was like an 07 or 06 or something. I think it was 06. Uh, they were reporting on every little poker tournament, because poker was so big then. So I go online, and I find a, a write-up from Max Shapiro about the poker tournament that I was just in, and it says, Peculiar way that uh, limit po- limit hold'em tournament at Commerce ends, or something like that, was the, was the headline. And it turned out that with forty percent of the chips heads up, Liz Liu offered the second the other guy at the table, just you know the two of them. She offered the guy with sixty percent of the chips the first place money if he would let her be named the first place winner. And he's like, all right. I guess yeah, he was a nobody. He just wanted the money, so he took the first place money. She took the first place title, and Max Shapiro wrote this up. So I couldn't believe this, and I didn't like Liz. She always treated me like crap when we played at Commerce in the cash games. She was just a bitch to me. So I was happy to come out and publicize what she had done—that she bought a win in that tournament—and she got really angry that I exposed this because you know here she bought the win and then. The whole thing's negated because I exposed it. She actually got Max to change the article immediately. Like, she saw it and got Max to change it within hours and took it down. And, and he changed it to some BS that he told her to, she told him to say. Right. But, but I wouldn't change anything. And in fact, I made, li- I made everyone realize that she had him change the article, too, which made her look even worse. So just as this was gaining steam, then she goes and plays another commerce, commerce tournament and wins it legitimately. And that was that, and nobody cared anymore. She was probably just looking to hop on sponsor, sponsorship or something at the time, right? Just getting on. Yes, that's exactly what she was doing. Oh, you know, Kev Math, he, Kev Math is so good. I don't know what brought him to the site tonight, but uh, Kev Math just like instantly went and found this tournament. <laughs> he found it. Uh, it says, uh, Limit Hold'em, February 3rd, 2006. Well, that's a long time ago. Uh, in commerce, it was uh, 1,060 buy-in. First place, Liz Liu, listed at $66,000, but she didn't get that. Second place, Jason Hydema, 33000 So they basically switched. Jason took the sixty-six, and she took the thirty-three. Uh, wow. Yeah. 
uh, or something like that. I'm not sure if it's exactly that, but I, I know he he came away with more money than she did. Um, it probably wasn't a full sixty. Let me see what it was. Um, did she ever get sponsored out of this? Yeah, yeah, she got like, a lot of sponsorships, like not major ones, but like with smaller sites. I, I don't think she got the full. I don't think he got the full first place money, but he got definitely a lot more than she did. Right. And she was named first place. So, and, and it was definitely hinged upon her being named first place. And the excuse that was for this, that she had uh, Max Shapiro change this to, was that um, she announced that she would donate 20% of her winnings to charity if she won the tournament. And to make sure that the promised money really went to the tournament, that um, she had to be declared the winner. Which is ridiculous. Like, like, why does she have to win to donate her own money? She could donate that money if she lost the tournament. <laughs> what do you mean she has to win it to donate the money? According to who? So that was the excuse that got put up there. She had to give some excuse. But anyway, uh, all the way down in 8th place, the sad uh, Todd Wittellis, a.k.a. Dan Druff, it says. 43.65 is all I got. It was such a sick final table, too, because like just nobody was busting forever, and then... Sounds like your 5K event this year. It was worse than the... It, it was kind of like that, but even worse. Because it was 8 people instead of 5. Or not 5, instead of... Uh, what was it? 7. That's, uh, I guess it was similar. You're right. But it was worse because... Uh, it was a smaller event with a much smaller field, so there were fewer chips in the whole thing. Only 180 people entered, and uh, there were fewer chips. Where this one, he started with uh, 15K in chips. So, Anyway, it would remind me of that if Tom McAvoy wins. If after bashing Tom McAvoy for not being worthy, then he wins the WSOPE, the main event. Yeah, celebrate that Hall of Fame um, induction with a WSOP Europe win. Boom. That'd be funny if he wins that. Um, I I'm see surprised he's even over there playing. Is he still active on these? Like, uh, I know he's probably not active on the tournament. See, maybe he just goes over there because it's like a main event, and that's like his. Maybe he goes over there and tries to sell books. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Someone said in the chat that uh, even his answering machine messaging sounds old and tired, and he does. It, it kind of sounded like an old guy leaving a message. Hello, I can't get to the phone. Uh, leave a message at the beep. Beep! And then it's like a regular beep instead of a cell phone. Uh, I, I didn't stay around for the beep, but it kind of sounded answering machine-like. Yeah, according to this uh, Hended Mob site, it actually lists what they really got. And I guess uh, Jason Hidema got 52k, and she got 40. Which is a pretty big difference. Since she was declared the winner. How often do you ever see the winner getting uh, significantly less in the second place. Mm. You can see them getting the same if they agree, like, we're going to split it and just play it out but for, for just for fun. But 40 versus 52. Yeah, it was really weird. And it was totally so she could get uh, credit for winning a tournament. And uh, That's crazy. Uh, I, I have something to announce here. Something very sad to announce. I, I've, I've got to not let this happen to me. Very sad. What has happened is I have been made a fool of. Because not only was Tom McAvoy 5 out of 30, apparently it's already over and he won. 
No, he actually wasn't in it. Sheets was <laughs> messing with me in the chat. I was going to say, I was, that's what I was wondering. I was like, this guy like travels over to Europe. I was like, there's no way this guy's in Damn Europe. Damn it, I, I can't believe Sheets pulled the wool over my eyes like that. I, I just didn't <laughs> I didn't see Sheets having that in him. I thought he's just listening to it to hear about uh, news and the poker community and everything. He's just, he, he just he's messing with me in chat. Good game, Sheets. Now, uh, Don Crusher is giving me an important update. He's saying uh, Tiffany Michelle is still in the event. <laughs> He didn't tell me her position, so I won't announce anymore. Well, we know that event will be ending quick, because she'll be calling the clock on everybody, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was that? She was eating uh, French fries or something? or uh... Yeah, I think she was eating French, different French fries <laughs> and calling the clock when it was like a crucial stage of the tournament. Getting the cards all greasy with the French fries. So yeah, she, uh, she had like 50 or 100 big blinds left, too. Anyway, if I was David Chu, I'd be pissed off. I'd be going, uh, what the hell? It's one thing to lose to uh, Mike Matisau or something, but Tom McAvoy? Yeah. What What is the Poker Hall of Fame? Is there an actual building or anything, or is it just you're nominated, you get in, and that's it? I, I don't like, think there's no... a physical place for it. Right. Uh, is there a wall somewhere or anything? There uh, should Kev be. Math. I'm, Kev yeah, Math. Kev Math has to tell us here. Is there a wall for it? Yeah. Like what? What do you get? I mean, the World Series of Poker. If you're a main event champion, you get your, you know, you get your banner up on the wall, unless you're Russ Hamilton. But um, you know, what? What? You get into the Poker Hall of Fame. Like, what does that mean? Besides, you're in the Hall of Fame. Maybe it means you get to have like uh, one night of hot sex with Linda Johnson. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's uh, Sheets is saying it's in the UB lobby in the old UB building in Costa Rica. Right. If you go to Costa Rica, you can visit it. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like how I stumbled on the Basketball Hall of Fame in uh, in Massachusetts by stopping at a uh, uh, some some kind of chain restaurant just off the side of the freeway. There's like a giant basketball next to me. There you go. What, what's the city name? What, what city Spring, is that? It's in Springfield. That's it, Springfield. Yeah, I just, I just get off the freeway in Springfield, and like Benjamin's all hungry. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm like, I got to find somewhere that's open. And then there's like a place that's like the light's on. I go, okay, we'll eat there. And there's like a giant basketball next to me. Right. Did you check it out? No, it was, it was closed already. It was like 10 o'clock. Oh, okay. It was late. Yeah. 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 It, it totally was not a destination. It was just so weird that that's what I... St- of all places to randomly stop and eat, it was next to the Basketball Hall of Fame. But uh, here's a random place you're probably glad you weren't at, and that's at uh, Dre's Nightclub in Bally's. Now, Dre's is an after-hours club. An after-hours club is a club that stays open when the rest of them are closed, just like it would sound. A lot. Dre's was pretty popular when it was at the Barbary Coast. It got moved because the Barbary Coast was purchased by Caesars Entertainment. The name was changed to Bills, and then Bills was shut down, and uh, a new casino is going to be in its place. In fact, uh, we'll be talking about something related to that shortly. But uh, they moved Dre's to Bally's. And there was a shooting and a death at Dre's nightclub. And uh, really strange circumstances. I understand more when there's like two guys at, at a nightclub and they get into some sort of uh, problem and the, you know, the, the bad blood carries out to the street and one shoots each other. I mean, obviously there's nothing that would ever involve me. Unless maybe I was the victim, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be shooting anyone as a result of an, an argument at a nightclub. I don't think anyone who listens to the show would. But um, this is even weirder. This was someone opening fire 
because they didn't get their money back for the cover charge. Uh, at 5.45 in the morning, uh, there's a $30 cover charge for men. And they, they, they open up the uh, the club at 1 in the morning, and they close at dawn. So it was actually fairly close to closing time, I guess, at 5.45. I don't know the exact closing time. But uh, it says... Police told the Las Vegas Review-Journal that the shooter fired three or four shots after being denied entry to the club and the shooter was rushed and subdued by other patrons. Um, It doesn't say here about the the cover charge. I had heard that the guy paid and then wanted to leave and get his money back and they said no. But this doesn't say that. Maybe they're changing the story. Maybe that wasn't the right story. That would be weird if that was the case. That uh, the guy pays his thirty dollars, realizes they're about to close. I didn't say the reason why he wanted his money back, but that they they said that originally that the guy went in, paid the money, wanted it back, and they said no. Once you pay, tough luck. And right. then he just flipped out and, and pulled a gun out, and then mm-hmm. someone who was trying to stop him from shooting got shot and killed. Yeah, I mean, something like that's very believable. If somebody is carrying a gun into a club and then, you know, they say, sorry, you can't have it back, and then, you know, you start jarring back and forth, jarring back and forth, I mean, somebody that's not all there, I could see them totally pulling a gun and firing, but I could also see them totally pulling a gun and firing on the club for whatever reason, you know? Um, like I said, I posted in that thread, I had something like this happen to me before in Vegas. I We, we had... Um, had a cab driver, and this is probably in like 2003 or 2004, and the guy was going to take us to a club, and we pull up, and we didn't, there was like two big bouncers standing outside where they were actually taking the money, it was like, they were taking the money almost like at the door, like outside, so we're like, alright, so it's two huge guys, I mean, I'm a pretty big dude, but these guys were like 6'5", 6'6", like 3.30, they looked like NFL offensive linemen. And they were both standing in front of this sign that said, um, no alcohol served here. So we didn't see that. So we paid, went in, and then, you know, we were like, wait a minute, there's no alcohol served here. So we went back out, tried to get our money back, and they basically told us to fuck off, that we couldn't have it back. And we didn't even, you know, we just walked in and basically walked out. So we just got screwed for it. We didn't argue with them, you know, probably wouldn't have turned out good for us because these guys were huge, but... You know, I guess if you have a gun, you could probably go the extra mile and try to get your money back. <laughs> I, I had something like this, but it wasn't about a club. Um, it, my college dining commons, um, you prepay for for your meals there, you know, way in advance. You know, it's part of the fee you pay for staying in the dorms. But, you, but that is part of what you're paying for. Anyway, I went into one of the dining commons, and they scan your card so you can't go to more than one per meal, because there's like a few on campus. I get to the back there where the hot food is, and there's none. Totally empty. So I go to the front and say, what's going on here? And they say, oh, I'm sorry, our boiler broke. So there's no hot food. I go, okay, well, you didn't tell me that when I came in. There's no sign about this here. Uh, can you write a note so I can bring this to another commons and, and let, let me in, even though my card shows I've already been here? So they said, no. I said, what do you mean, no? <laughs> I, I can't have a hot meal here. That's what I paid for. Nope, only one. You know, We have different budgets. We can't do that. So I, I had this big argument with them. They they told me no. Of course, I'm, I'm like 19 years old, so they have no respect for me either. You know, what do they give, give a shit? I'm 19 years old. What am I going to do about it? 
So um, I say, well, okay. I, I leave. I decide to stop arguing with them. And I decided the following. And I'm not a big like like civil disobedience type of person. But this is what I decided. I decided I had paid for this meal. And I'm going to get this meal. And I'm going to go to the other dining commons. The only one left open besides this one. I'm going to go in. I'm going to tell them what really happened. If they let me in, everything's cool, no problem. If they don't, I'm going to say, well, I paid for this, so I'm going in anyway. Was going to just barge in and walk in anyway and make them call the police to take me out and let myself get arrested and then sue the school for arresting me. That was my plan. The basis of the lawsuit being that I paid for it and they had no reason to deny me. I was going to make a huge issue over this. So I was all ready to do it. And I'm like the last guy who will go like, get arrested for a cause like this. But I, I was just so pissed. I said, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get arrested for this. I don't care. Unless they let me in. So I went to the other one, told them the story. There's like a girl up front. She sat and thought for a second. She's like, um... Uh, okay, go in. <laughs> so I went in and that was that. And uh, I didn't have to get arrested. I, I would have totally done it. I, I couldn't accept the fact, much like your story, where you, you didn't realize that the alcohol wasn't being served, and you wanted to leave based upon that. And they, they, were, they were blocking the sign. Much like me, there was no sign that the boiler was broken. There, no one told me. And then they wouldn't, uh, essentially, you know, I wouldn't say give me a refund, but l- let me do an exchange, pretty much, for the other comments. So. Right. So, well, the funny thing was, the guy, like, stepped aside as he was covering the sign, and he's like, see, it says it right there. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you yeah. think they were blocking it on purpose? They were standing right there, right in front of it. I mean, they probably were, because they figured if you see that, then, you know, you're not, most people aren't going to go in, you know? Yeah. So It, it could have been a scam to the tourist thing, where it's going to place these giant bouncers there, and they'll block the sign, and then no one's going to be willing to try to force to get their money back, because these guys are so big and scary looking. Right. All right. Uh, you know, Team MLK is just going crazy in the chat room. I think I'm going to have to. Uh, I think I'm going to have to show him the door. He just. He says, "I'm not leaving. That. I'll troll the forums till I'm banned." Well, I don't know about the forums, but I, w- I will kick him out of here. Wasn't Bad Guy doing this a couple weeks ago too? Bad Guy was doing a weird thing where he was entering and exiting at like breakneck speed. I wonder if that was like a bug or something. Or... I think it was. But who knows? That, I don't think he knows that. Yeah, I don't think he has a technical experience to do that. Yeah, I don't think he would sit there and just go in, out, in, out, in, out. It just doesn't make. It sense. was amazingly fast. It was like like a hundred times in in a second. So I I think it would require some technical knowledge to be able to do that. He definitely doesn't have that. So going to the uh, so anyway, that happened at Bally's, and they actually continued the gaming in the casino when this happened. Like, the, the shooting wasn't in the casino, but, like, here right outside the casino, in this nightclub, there's a shooting. And they're like, ah, you know, everyone keep playing. I actually went in there for the first time the last, um, when I was at the World Series. I'd never been to Bally's. I'd never been to Paris. So I checked that whole wing out. But it was surprising, but that place was hopping. Like, the, the, the oh, game yeah. was, like, booming. It was busy. It was, like, really busy. In yeah, there. it is busy, and it's also connected to Paris. You can walk right in there through Paris without ever touching the street or the strip or anything. So it's almost like two hotels in one. Yeah, that place was booming, too. I yeah. mean, um, it was just... I don't, I don't think it was, like, a weekend night, either, but, I mean, 
just wa- I walked through both of them and I was just kind of caught off guard how busy it was. Like all the pits, all the tables were like completely packed. Um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, Caesars. Uh, you know, despite these successful casinos, they managed to go bankrupt anyway. They managed to screw it up. Uh, so let's move on to the uh, next subject here. Um, there are some plea bargains in the uh, Trencher Trencher gambling ring case. Everybody panicked a little while ago, a number of months ago, when these busts came down. Um, these involved, in New York, a, a gambling ring that was busted. And some poker players were named in the indictment. And everyone was afraid because these... Uh, it was a Russian mob thing, because this involved some poker rooms that uh, were underground in New York. They thought this was an assault on poker. They thought this was being done because these were poker games and that they were busting all the New York City poker rooms. They were going, oh my god, what's next? Now they're getting the New York City poker rooms. They're going to get everything. They, they, they thought this was like a federal crackdown on poker. Well, it wasn't. This was a crackdown against the Russian mob. And uh, poker happened to be a small part of it. The main thing they were after was sports betting. And the poker players who were busted were not busted for poker, they were busted for sports betting. They were busted for taking sports bets. This included guys like Bill Edler, Abe Mosseri, Peter Feldman, uh, Justin Boosted J. Smith. Well, there's been a number of plea bargains. And uh, by the way, even uh, Michael Saul, the guy who once bet another guy that he wouldn't get breast implants for 100 k he was also indicted. Uh, but... The poker players, other than uh, Michael Saul, who was one of the major players, that most of the poker players were, were side, just minor players in the whole thing, who just were taking sports bets, presumably from other poker players. But we have a, a number of plea bargains that took place here. This was uh, actually written by Haley Hintz, who... Uh, is a big poker investigative reporter, much like uh, Diamond Flesh, but in a different way. And she she usually focuses on AP and UB related stuff, but sometimes just general stories. Haley Hintz wrote this: Breaking news today from the Southern District of New York, the United States Federal Judicial System, where the Office of Online Poker Bain Preet Bara has announced plea deals for Slava quote Stan Greenberg and six other defendants in the case of the Taiwan Taiwan chick. Trencher Gambling Enterprise, a major gambling ring with nationwide connections with extensive ties to the Russian mob international crime figures. So, um, she goes on to write, uh, Greenberg was one of the five, uh, one, one of five of the 34 defendants to be named on the indictment's first count of racketeering conspiracy, and it was the only count of 27 of which he was named. Uh, so, there were a number of plea deals in recent weeks, uh, none of them are major poker figures involved, but if you've been following this, then uh, you'll still be interested. Now, I heard uh, Justin Boosted J. Smith was going to be uh, plea bargaining. I, I don't know what ended up happening with that. But, um, anyway, on October 4th, Dmitry Druzinski and David Aaron pled guilty to gambling charges. October 10th, Alexander Zevahuruka pled guilty to gambling charges. Nicholas Hirsch pled guilty on October 16th to commit wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud. October 17th, and 
Anatoly Stingrab pled guilty to conspiring to commit money laundering. And October 18th, Yugeshwar Rajkumar pled guilty to gambling charges. Now, of those people, only Rajkumar has any kind of uh, poker history. And the thing he's best known for is he was kicked out of a Borgata event, a big Borgata event, for smoking pot in the middle of the event. He had a good stack and had to let it blind off because he was kicked off for smoking pot. So, um, it says, with the exception of uh, Justin Boosted J. Smith, the most notable figures in the case, including Abe Masseri, John Hansen, Bill Edler, Peter Feldman, and the three trenchers, are either in legal negotiations or awaiting possible trial, which could come in 2014. So, as I said, Boosted J. is definitely uh, plea bargaining, from what I heard. The other ones, uh, I'm not sure about, but uh, uh, it looks like a lot of this is not going to go to trial. And uh, this was all aimed at the Russian mob, though. This was not aimed at poker. So, no reason to panic on that. Just thought I'd give an update on that. Just another reason why they should um, they should just legalize sports betting. I mean, this isn't going to... I don't understand these crackdowns on sports betting. It's just going to pop up somewhere else and, like... What is it? There's, like... The substan- it's, like, 90% of the money wagered in the United States is wagered illegally anyways, so... I don't see why they don't just capitalize on it and make money off it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that needs to be legalized as well. There's been a lot of complaints, actually, about... Uh, a lot of people have complained the PPA has been throwing sports betting under the bus by trying to get poker legalized at the expense of sports betting. And it is true that the government is much more anti-sports betting than anti-poker. So I understand the PPA trying to do it, but it does... Uh, it does start to make it tougher for other forms of gambling, especially sports betting. I think that'll become the last thing ever legalized to do online it would be sports betting because uh, the government just always hated that hated it right so. oh yeah what about um, you were saying do we, are we still going to get to this Delaware oh, thing oh yeah let's, I it? skipped past it accidentally but let's talk about the Delaware thing yeah. so Delaware not uh, the listener who calls himself Delaware not the old guy here but the state of Delaware which is a tiny state, by the way. It's, it's, it's really small, both in population and in size. It's the second smallest state in area to Rhode Island. And uh, anyway, Delaware will be the first state to offer regulated online gambling, that is, gambling aside from poker, on October 31st. Uh, scientific Games and 888 Holdings have been selected as the primary vendors for online gaming services in the state. This is according to PokerFuse. I'm reading from their article. Uh, D- Delaware's three racing casinos, called Racinos, including Dover Downs, launched free versions of popular casino games on Facebook in August this year. So they're going to really go on for real online money. Same rules as the other state online gambling things going on, like in uh, New Jersey and Nevada, you need to be physically in that state to do it. You don't have to live there, but you have to physically be in the state. Concerns have been raised over Delaware's ability to achieve enough liquidity to sustain online poker. Players will need to be physically located within the borders of the state, which consists of less than 1 million residents, and draws only 7 million tourists per year. In contrast, questions still remain whether Nevada, the only state currently offering regulated online poker in the U.S., can sustain a healthy internet poker ecosystem. The Silver State, referring to Nevada, has three times the number of residents and draws almost 40 million visitors per year. So 
they're saying that uh, Nevada has three times as many people as Delaware and draws about uh, six times as many tourists per year. And yet, their online gambling, their online poker has not been that successful so far. So they're saying Delaware, which is so much smaller, and with much fewer tourists, how are they going to have a successful online poker room? I think the answer is they won't. They might have a few low-limit games going. And uh, they're mainly just doing this for the casino. And once it's set up, then they don't care. Like A casino is different because you don't need a number of players at the table to make it work. You can have one player at a casino. You can't have one player in poker. So, that, that's been going on. I, I think they're just doing it because uh, if they can throw something up fairly easily, it's worth a shot. But I, right. I don't think they're going to be a, a real player in poker. I don't think there's going to be any kind of notable games going there. I don't think it'll be worth going to Delaware for this unless they join up with one of the other states. But, uh, and I think that's why it is a full slate of online gambling rather than just poker. Because if it's just poker, it'll be a fail site. Something right. a lot of you don't know is that Washington, D.C. made it legal for online poker quite some time ago. But there's been no attempt to set up a room there because there's only 600,000 residents there. And as far as the number of people that play poker at all in Washington, D.C., it's not very high. It's just not... Poker's not popular over there. So that room, if one ever sprung up over there in D.C., would do very, very poorly. So they didn't even bother. It's like a law passed, but no one even bothered because it, it just would fail. And they didn't pass it to where it's all casino games, it's only poker. So Delaware they decided they're going to make it uh, for everything. So this way, if it's kind of a fail site, it still makes money. I'm surprised no one tried to take a shot with that. You know, even though it's small, you know, usually there's somebody out there that'll say, I can make this work, you know, try and take a shot at it. Yeah, I think it's because it's poker, and and there is a lot to get going with the, uh, with all the whatever regulations. There's, There's a lot you have to do to get it going, and not that much expense once it's going. And I think they just didn't want to. I think it's just they knew it would fail. I think Delaware's thinking is that once it's going, it's going to be just free money. Because uh, it's not like poker where you need an active pool of players playing against each other. So just uh, a way to get people gambling at the casino without going to the casino. So. As long as you can, as long as you have the casino games going, I mean, it's like printing money. You yeah, know? That, that's what they're thinking, and and of course, uh, you know, they make money very quickly on those casino games with the house edge being so high. So, yeah, that's happening. And thanks for pointing that out that I forgot to mention it because uh, I skipped by that when we were talking about the other stuff in the Philadelphia conference. Uh, last topic before we get to the baseball stuff at the end. Caesars has really screwed up again. I know you're shocked. But uh, Caesars, we were just talking about the Russian mob. The Russian mob uh, definitely plays into this story. Seems like I'm hearing more and more about the Russian mob. Used to always be about uh, the Italian mob, sometimes even the Jewish mafia. Right. Now it's always the Russian mafia. They've kind of taken over. The other, the other mafias have kind of uh, taken a step to the side. 
Now it's the well, Russians. They got to stop paying people better. That's all. <laughs> so the Russians here apparently got involved with Caesars without Caesars realizing it. This this is how stupid Caesars can be sometimes. So I mentioned Bills, where Dre's used to be. Used to be the Barbary Coast. Bills right now is is nothing. Bills, I, I'm not sure if it's been destroyed yet. I think it's still standing. But it, it's abandoned. And Caesar's plans for it is to knock it down and make a replacement casino that's like a boutique casino. Kind of like a um, a property different from all their other properties. Some kind of boutique, unique, uh, little uh, independent-looking property that is actually a Caesars property. What is this, Bill's Gambling Hall? Yes. They've closed that's, that. That's just vacant now? Yes. It has been that's for crazy. quite that, some time. That was like... Right up, right in dead center of the strip, too, yes, right? Yes, it's got a great location right across the street from Caesars. And uh, it, it's either completely vacant or destroyed. I believe it's still there. I, th- I believe it's still standing, but it's been vacant for quite some time. They just closed it. First, they rebranded it as Bills when they bought it. Then they said, you know what, screw it. This It's just antiquated. It's not doing well. It's just no one wants to really go here anymore. We're going to close it. We're going to make it into a boutique hotel. So they formed a partnership with a company called Gansevoort to run the upcoming replacement casino for Bills. This is in Las Vegas. Well, it turns out Gansevoort has Russian mob ties, and Caesars did not know this. The guy with the ties, who's a big investor in Gansevoort, is named Arik Kislin. And he led a firm that served as the treasury for a highly influential Russian mob. So some big Russian mob outfit there. He was the treasury for them. This uh, Arik Kislin. And he was a big investor in Gassenvort. And Gassenvort is the company that Caesars hired to run the upcoming boutique hotel replacing bills. So... This has not yet really had that much of a fallout in Las Vegas. However, Caesars was attempting to get a casino right in your neighborhood, in Boston. Right. They were attempting to get... Apparently there's only going to be one casino license granted in the Boston area. And Suffolk Downs, which is a horse track, was competing for that license, and they partnered with Caesars, and they looked like they had a decent chance of getting it because of uh, Caesars being a big and respected company. And, uh, you know, here you have instant credibility in running a casino and being Caesars. So there's going to be some kind of like Caesars Boston. Well, not anymore. Once the word about this got out, about uh, Caesars having ties to the Russian mob indirectly through this Gansevoort company, so basically a, a company is going to be running one of their casinos in Vegas that has a major investor that was a big figure at the Russian mob, this created an issue to where they realized that they probably would not get that license anymore. And that was very bad news for Suffolk Downs. So they preemptively stopped it, so they still had a chance. The way they did this is by dropping the liability. And the liability was Caesars Entertainment. This article from BostonMagazine.com says Suffolk Downs shook up the Massachusetts casino race on Friday night 
announcing that as a result of Massachusetts Gaming Commission background investigation into its partner Caesars Entertainment, it was dropping the gaming giant from its bid to win the single casino license the state will issue for the Boston area. Indications were that uh, there were a variety of issues, but the biggie seemed to be unsavory ties to a mystery unsavory character. I thought I was the unsavory character, according to Poker News. Oh, drop the uh, the L is silent in Suffolk Downs. What was that? The L in Suffolk Downs. Oh, it's silent. It's, a, it's silent. It's a oh, silent. Oh, down. Oh, yeah. Suffolk Downs. Okay, I'm sorry. Suffolk Downs. Okay, yeah. sorry about that. I'm glad I have sorry. you on here. See, I don't know Boston stuff. So. <laughs> This morning, the Globe reported the problem was, quote, a business relationship with a person alleged to have family members involved in organized crime outside of the United States. Uh, and this is about uh, Arik Hislin. Long before he became an owner of Manhattan's trendy Hotel Gassenvort, a hipster real estate developer played a leading role in a shadowy firm that served as the treasury for one of Russia's most powerful mobs, stunning court record show. Hampton's hopping businessman Eric Kieslin was one of three people authorized to give financial instructions to a company in Liechtenstein, now identified as a front for the Ismailovskaya organized crime group, according to law enforcement officials and court documents from three countries obtained by the Post. So, somehow, the Massachusetts Gaming Commission found this. And the Massachusetts Gaming Commission, I mean, that's not a big gaming commission. You don't think of gaming when you think of Massachusetts. Somehow they figured this out, but Caesars didn't know. Caesars is like, duh, yeah, it seems uh, this Gassenvort seems like a good company. Right. This this hotel Gassenvort in in Manhattan that's doing well. It's a trendy hotel there. We want a trendy hotel here. So so uh, they dropped Caesars, and Caesars actually said, "All right, fine." They actually didn't fight it. Uh, Caesars actually agreed to dropping this and then dropped Gassenvort. Uh This is a statement from a Caesars spokesman on Friday. Caesars Entertainment, which is licensed in more jurisdictions than any other gaming company, has decided to withdraw its application to develop a casino in Massachusetts. We believe the commission is attempting to set standards of sustainability or sorry, suitability that are arbitrary, unreasonable, and inconsistent with those that exist in every other jurisdiction. So they're they're blaming the the standards set by Massachusetts, not that they were in business with a Russian mobster. <laughs> it's all Massachusetts' fault. They should have. Uh, it's unrealistic to hold Caesars to these standards of not uh, doing business with the mob. So I've I've heard that the wind's going to get this license. Yeah, but. now they now they probably really will after this. So what are they doing? They're just Massachusetts is just just going to give out one license, right? At for least for Boston. I I don't know about any other area in in uh, Mass, right. but I know that uh, Boston there's only one license and there's a pretty fierce competition over it. And Caesars thought it had a good shot with all the casinos it owns, but. Uh, right. That's How that. are they expanding so much if they're losing so much? Are they, aren't they losing money? Yeah, I, I don't know. They, they, I think they believe that uh, they'll find a magic bullet in one of these places. Or they, they might fudge their numbers to say they're losing too. I mean, uh, they really they are give, Don't they like on the like their quarterly books? Don't they like uh, like the comps? Doesn't that count as like losses when it and they they could like really like. Jack those up when it's really not costing them much, like room comps and stuff like that. Well, no, because they they have to uh, 
they they have to show profit and loss. Now, yes, I can cook the books and ma- make things look uh, a lot different than they are, but not not in that way. Uh, they you know here they have to just it, it's it's pretty simple. You have your your income and you have your operating costs, and uh, now they can fudge those in other ways. But I believe they're really struggling. I, I think a lot of this is from mismanagement, as they do with so many other things. Uh, they do very well with the World Series. That's a very valuable asset to theirs. They've they've talked about selling it because it's so valuable. It's 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 like printing money that thing. And um, yeah, they they actually do fairly well with with their casinos. I don't know where they're shooting off all the money. I think it's with all the projects they're doing. They just uh, overspend and. Um, so I, I do wonder why they're expanding. You know, they're, maybe they identified the Boston market as one that they think could be very profitable since there's not that much there, but uh, they're, right. you know, they'd be oh. the only casino. Oh, when boom, the casino that goes in that area will boom because I think like 70% or something of the traffic that goes to Foxwoods comes from Massachusetts. So, I well, mean, there you go. <laughs> if I, you know, it, why drive an hour and a half to go there when you can just go whatever 20 yeah. minutes or even like an hour if you're far, farther away and then you get all the people coming down from like new hampshire maine vermont they're all going to go to boston well now you know why they're, they're they're doing this expansion here but they've been doing other expansions that uh I, I don't know much about these markets so i don't know if they're smart like cincinnati and other ones that i, I think are they really going to make much money there but yeah, maybe they will maybe if they can locate themselves in places that don't have gambling that uh They'll win just because of the lack of competition. Yeah. But uh, anywhere you can put up table games or slots, you should be able to make money. I've noticed Caesars. I, I don't know where they're really losing all the money. I, I know that they operationally just are a mess, and I don't know how much that's costing them as far as revenue with people who don't, don't want to come back because of all these operational failures. But the operational failures in the World Series are just a microcosm of what's going on in the whole company. I I can tell you because I've. I, I've stayed so much at Caesar's properties over the last year and a half, and and it's just unbelievable the things I see there, the the fails that occur, and and you would laugh if you saw some of the customer service type things that happen there. Not even customer service, like like just getting the billing correct at the hotel. I actually learned more than some of their employees have. I like I'll give them advice of what to do to fix the situation, and right. not to be obnoxious. Like I I give them advice that works. Be like, oh yeah, right. I've been through this before. This is what you have to press. This is what you have to do. And like I can't believe it. I'm like. I'm actually telling Caesars, I'm telling Caesars employees, like, how to fix the bill. I'm telling them why this mistake's happening. Right. (laughs) I can't believe it. Like, they don't know I do. Maybe um, Garden City Group is, like, the head of Caesars now. Maybe they're running the show over there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, They should actually have a a fail-off. They should have a fail-off between Garden City Group and Caesars, where uh, people film both companies for, like, a month and see who commits... More fail in that time. It would be a tight one. It tight would be a tight one. I don't know who I'd bet on on that one. Probably a pick 'em. <laughs> a pick 'em line. Yeah. So, uh, so let's. Now that we're done with the poker topics, and uh, it seems like we have a, a star-studded chat tonight. We had Kedvath. We had she- Sheets, who's uh, telling me lies about Tom McAvoy. We have a, a lot of interesting people in the chat. But let's talk about the Dodgers here. Now, first, I want to defend the Dodgers a little bit in that uh, they're not as much of a disappointment as a lot of people think. People think about their giant payroll of 200-something million, 220 or whatever it ended up being. And they say, how could this team lose to the Cardinals, who had like 115 million payroll, or whatever it was? 
you know, the Cardinals that had a lot of uh, rookies. Uh, they, of course, didn't sign Pujols, and uh, it seemed like they made all the right moves. And the Dodgers, yeah, they got to the NLCS. Yeah, they won the NL West, but they, they had a payroll over $200 million. How could they lose four out of six to St. Louis? And, and not that St. Louis is a bad team. They're a very good team. But let me give some excuse for them. The Dodgers actually were not a 200-something million dollar team in the playoffs because a lot of their expensive players were not able to play. Uh, Matt Kemp, who's making $20 million, could not play. Never played a game. Wasn't even on the roster. Andre Ethier, who made $13.5 million, he was on the roster, but he was not himself. He wasn't Andre Ethier. He was Andre Ethier in name only. He was... Uh, really a shell of himself. And even, you know, I know Ethier's a streaky player. The first half of the year he wasn't very good. Second half of the year he was good. But even putting that aside, this wasn't even like healthy but not good Ethier. This was a sick, this was injured Ethier. It was clear. This wasn't a mystery injury either. You know, they, everyone knew what was wrong with him. They just put him in the lineup anyway because uh, they felt like not putting him in would make the lineup look like it wasn't good and they could just pitch around the few big name players like Gonzalez. So, Ethier was there, but as far as I'm concerned, he wasn't there for $13.5 million. Um, I'm Rem- oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Josh Beckett. There's like, what, $20 million that was out? Right. Uh, Josh Beckett. That was the next one I was going to bring up. Uh, Josh, Me- Josh Beckett. Uh, where's... I'm not even seeing uh, what his salary is on this uh, this page, but... Uh, Probably like 17 or $18 million. So, you know, Something like that, yeah. So, so Josh Beckett for a lot of money, which I don't have on this screen, uh, like what you said, $17 million or whatever. He wasn't anywhere there. Um, you could say, oh, he's not really worth that money, which I agree, but he didn't even have the chance to be worth that money. Like Carl Crawford, he's not worth the $20 million he's making, but he was playing like a $20 million player in the postseason, hitting four home runs. Right. So during the regular season, he wasn't, but that's in the playoffs, at least he got to play, and he performed great. Uh, not what wasn't worth twenty million overall, but uh, yeah, at least I can't say oh Carl Crawford isn't really worth twenty million for the playoff sake because he did hit like one who who was twenty million. Now, but but players who absolutely cannot take the field, you have a number of them for this much money. You have to subtract that from what you call the payroll. And uh, then Hanley Ramirez, he was great in the NLDS against the Braves. He was great the whole season. He wasn't great in the NLCS because he was badly injured from that right. ball he took to the ribs. He had he, a broken rib. Yeah, he had a broken rib. And you could see the way he swung, the way he ran. He ran. This wasn't Hanley Ramirez. This was the guy wearing Hanley Ramirez's uniform, pretending to be him. That's $15.5 million. So you subtract all this. I don't have a calculator in front of me. But you subtract all of this. And then you also have players like Ted Lilly who were signed for some kind of reasonable money, you know, $7 million, $8 million, whatever he was making, who released in the middle of the year. A lot of these players, by the time the playoffs came, were either injured or not there anymore on the team. Not traded, but just not even there. Released, like Lily was. Most of them were just injured. So, it was not a 200-something million dollar team in the playoffs. It was a one-something, much lower than $200 million. And with that said, they still had a lot of talent. Um... I will say that with the injuries they had, I understand why they lost. 
you're missing Hanley Ramirez's bat, and he carried the team the whole season, or at least in the games he played, for the half of the season he played. Uh, Andre Ethier, who was huge in the second half, he uh, he was not himself. Uh, you're missing these guys, and all of a sudden the lineup starts to look thin, especially if you consider that the injured players are, are really not going to do anything. So, what do you have? Adrian Gonzalez? Yeah, he, he hit pretty well, but he can't do it all by himself. Uh, Carl Crawford, he did well. He can't do it all by himself. You know, uh, The Dodgers just didn't have enough bats to compete with a good yeah. team like St. Louis. And, uh, you know, the last game was a disaster. No question about that. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, I don't know what the problem was. I don't know if it was an off day. I don't know if it's just that he can't beat St. Louis. I don't know if it's uh, because he was worn out from the long season where he pitched more innings than anyone in baseball. But uh, he obviously looked terrible that day. But I, even Clayton Kershaw, you can understand he can have a terrible game every so often. Yeah, he had a lot of bad luck in that game, too. I didn't, didn't like Puig make, make a couple of big errors oh, yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah it was a, the whole game was a comedy of errors. Uh, terrible defense. Kershaw melted down once he started becoming a victim of that defense. It and wasn't just he, the defense. And he, then that inning where he threw like 42 pitches, I was listening to it on the radio, and uh, I think it was Hershiser too. He said he, he threw like a strike three. It should have been a strike three. Oh, yeah. yeah they he didn't gets, call it, and then he gave up like four runs after that. Yeah, yeah. He he definitely was uh, battling his emotions there. He got screwed on the strike three. He got screwed uh, with the errors. He... Uh, what really killed him, the real, the final nail in the coffin for him, really, was the Chris Carpenter, like, 11-pitch at bat. Because here, after all that bad luck he was having, the Dodgers are already down. He's throwing good pitch after good pitch to Carpenter, who's just fouling him off, fouling him off, and he just, he just will not get that third strike. He went, like, 11 or 12 pitches, and then Carpenter laces a double to right field. And that's just so deflating when you've made all these great pitches in a row... You can't get the damn strikeout, and then the guy laces a double off you after everything else has happened. Right. And I could tell from that moment. I, I remember when it went to like the eleventh pitch. I'm thinking, if he gives up a big hit here, it's over. I just I just knew he was going to melt down after that because it's just it's so hard to come back psychologically from that. Right. It's just the worst to like you know you're doing all the right things with the pitches, and, the, and you just can't strike the guy out. And then after eleven pitches, he, he hits a double off you. It's, it's awful. So, so that was a terrible game. But you know, teams have terrible games. I, you can't blame that game. You can't say that game was was the Dodgers being awful. You, you can't say that game was the reason they lost the whole thing. They, going into St. Louis down three two, I knew they were going to be in big trouble unless they got huge performances out of both Kershaw and Ryu. They didn't even get to Ryu. Right. So, um, with the injuries they had, I'm not surprised they lost to St. Louis, especially only having three games of the seven at home. Right. They uh, just they got outpitched, and you know St. Louis didn't really hit that good, didn't they? Only no, hit, they like, didn't. Two hundred for no, the series. Or they something? did not pitch well. Other than the last game, the Dodgers pitched pretty well. Right, and uh, as you can't blame the pitching, uh, the Dodgers just were missing a lot of players and, and just right. didn't hit that well. And and, and St. Louis. Uh, they, they just uh, they they had really really good pitching, and you know, Wacha just I mean he just was unhittable not just against the Dodgers but against everybody from the end of the season on. He's yeah, just the, the best part about him is uh, he was the compensation from the Pujols uh, yeah. signing. 
Yeah, and he wasn't even that highly regarded at the time, and he just uh, he just became a monster at the end of the season. I don't know if it's going to carry over to next year, but I mean, just the uh, he was yeah. just someone who was unstoppable for that at the end. Yeah, basically, I looked at his numbers. I mean, it looks like it's going to carry over just because if you look at these guys that, you know, his Ks per nine were over one. He had like 67 strikeouts and 65 innings, you know, and he had the ERA was there. I think the whip was there. And I don't know, just based on those numbers, when I see those on, uh, for like fan, when I'm scouting fantasy players, they usually follow through the next year with a pretty good year. I mean, not all of them, but. Yeah, uh, good sample size of him. Will yeah, he's actually looking unstoppable. Like Kershaw did at one point in the regular season this year, like in July, where he just uh, just every time he comes out, he just mows everyone down, and just no one has a chance. And that's just the way he was pitching. And I think it's going to really help the Cardinals in the World Series as well. Uh, a little bit different playing in the AL parks where you have to face the DH, but uh, man, it's, it's of course very hard to play in Boston. It's, it's it's interesting because these are two teams with very tough stadiums, tough stadiums to play in on the road. Right, Boston and, and yeah. St. Louis. Yeah, it should be uh, should be interesting. I mean, and the same thing uh, on uh, you know on the, the other side. I mean, Detroit out hit Boston like a uh, Boston hit like two hundred for the series. I think Detroit hit well above that, and then. Detroit's starting pitching absolutely dominated the series. It was just base running and errors. I mean, and timely hits, and that was it. I mean, how often do you see a team win a game in six series where they hit 200, the other team hit well above that, and their starting pitchers got outpitched? It's yeah. just, it's almost unheard of. Yeah, it was like uh, a pitching season on, on both ends here. Oh, I got a Hot Pockets ad here. I was trying to read about the Dodgers. Uh, so, so, um,. For those of you who don't know, the Dodgers actually signed another Cuban player. If you think they have their hands full with the Osiel Puig, they now have another one. Uh, Alexander Guerrero is going to be at second base and probably is going to begin next season at second base, which means uh, bye-bye to Mark Ellis, which uh, means probably a decline on defense. Though, to be fair, Ellis is going to be 37 next year, so I can understand. I think 37. So I can understand why they're thinking that, you know... They've got to cut him before he really goes in the toilet. Obviously, he's not an elite player. Very, very, very good on defense, but just an you know okay hitter. And uh, they've decided they... I was going to say, no Robinson Cano. Yeah, no Robinson Cano. That, that is interesting. They were all this talk about Cano, but they've decided to go with the, the Cuban route again. I, I wonder if they're going to have their hands full with him the way they did with Puig. Maybe he's got a different personality type, but... Uh, uh, he can play shortstop and second base. He was a two-time All-Star in Cuba's uh, Serie Nacional, and he defected earlier this year. He is going to get a $10 million signing bonus upon the approval of the contract by Major League Baseball. Then he'll get $4 million salary in 2014 and 15, $5 million in 2016 and 17, and then also uh, performance bonuses of $1 million per year if he uh, gets 500 to 600 plate appearances. Uh, so Dodgers may have two Cuban players. Probably will have two Cuban players on the roster next week. Uh, next next year. Uh, they've also fired Trey Hillman, who is the top assistant to Don Mattingly. What, what kind of was he like? His um, his assistant manager, like his bench guy. Yeah, he was. He was a bench coach. See, that's crazy. I mean. I think Mattingly's under contract for next year. I read a little above well, this today. They said they fired like his two best buddies. Like, are they trying to get him to like to skip town or what? No. I mean, well, th- this is so weird. What's going on Matt- with Mattingly? First of all, 
Um, in the NLDS, when they brought Kershaw back on short rest, which Kershaw had never done in his life, and it ended up working out because you know, Kershaw pitched well enough, and he was victimized by some bad defense again. And then there was that uh, Uribe home run. I was at that game. It's a great game to be at. There's that Uribe home run late in the game that uh, put the Dodgers up and clinched the series against the Braves. There was some question at the time if the reason that Kershaw was started on short rest rather than Alaska, who had been struggling, was a selfish decision by Mattingly in that he thought he might be fired if he lost the NLDS. And that the thinking was if he gets past the NLDS and loses to the Cardinals, then they'll think, okay, well, he got us to the NLCS, we'll give him another shot. Well, it was more than that. What was unknown at the time was that if Mattingly were to win the NLDS, that he would automatically have an option picked up for next year for $1.4 million. So this wasn't just about him thinking he might be fired. This was that it was a $1.4 million win for him when they won the NLDS. It's like having a bet on a game for one point four million. Yeah, yeah. Right so, so he said, "You know what? Screw it. I don't. I, I have to. I have to think." He selfishly said, "Hey, I'm going to start Kershaw because it's more important to win this for me for my career than to worry about what happens to the Dodgers after this in, in the next round of the, of the playoffs. I'd rather." And I, you have to think maybe this did affect uh, Kershaw in the NLCS. Maybe this led to his meltdown in Game Six, is that he was so worn out by Game Six of the NLCS that, that he couldn't pitch. You, you'll never know if that's the reason. But um, you have to think that Mattingly probably did start Kershaw in that game for selfish reasons, to get the $1.4 million. So now now that he, Mattingly has gotten the $1.4 million, something else has happened. That doesn't mean he is going to be the coach, uh, the, coach I mean, the manager for next year. That just means the Dodgers have to pay him $1.4 million. So... Mattingly now can be a lot more ballsy and has been a lot more ballsy about what he's going to demand because now he doesn't have to worry, do they bring me back? Now they're already paying him so he can afford to come out in the media and make demands. So what he did was uh, after getting his option he he's made comments of when you're put in the situation, in this situation, he's referring to uh, these one-year contracts, the organization basically says, we don't know if you can manage or not, so that's the position I've been in all season long, so that's not a great position for me as a manager. That's the way it is. Uh, that's the way the organization wanted it last year. That's fine. Mattingly is trying to push the Dodgers very hard to make a decision whether to fire him and, of course, eat the $1.4 million, or sign him to several years. And he feels he has the power to force that now because either way he wins. Either he gets fired and gets $1.4 million guaranteed and can go manage somewhere else, or he, uh, he gets a multi-year contract, which is what he'd really like. So the Dodgers don't know what to do. Uh, obviously, the, a rich team like this can eat 1.4 million, but uh, they've got to be annoyed by this whole thing. 
then he comes out in the media once this happens. I mean, he waited for the Dodgers to be out of the playoffs before starting this drama, but he is definitely starting this drama. Uh, he said. He also said, this has been a frustrating year, honestly. I think when you basically come in with a club like this as a lame duck with a payroll and the guys you have, it puts you in a tough spot in the clubhouse. I, I dealt with this all year long, and really what it does is puts me in a spot where everything I do is questioned because basically I'm trying out, auditioning to say, can you manage or not, can you not manage... To me, to, to me, it gets to the point where you either know or you don't. So he's forcing the Dodgers' hand here. He and I think they're gonna. I think they're just gonna cut him. Yeah, probably. I think they may have taken a shot with him for one more year, but I think this demanding that uh, they give him a few more years, especially after the highly publicized mistakes he made during the playoffs. I think uh, they're gonna say goodbye and. Uh, Eat the 1.4 million and and go get someone else. Who who they're going to get, I don't know. And uh, as people saw, while Mattingly was blamed for the Dodgers' terrible start of 30 and 42, he was also the one at the helm when they went 42 and 8, which to me just shows that a lot of this just matters about which players are hot and less about the manager himself. I think the manager probably matters more in the playoffs than in the regular season. And I think in the long regular season, you know, you've got, you, you have slumping players at the beginning of the year who everyone's doing poorly at the same time. No matter who's managing, you're going to lose. You have uh, a hot Puig and Ramirez in the middle of the year, you're going to keep winning. Right. And, 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 you know, and suddenly the bullpen got good in the middle. Like, everybody got good at the same time in the middle of the year. They won all those games. And the beginning of the year was the opposite of that. And the playoffs was kind of the middle of that, where uh, they weren't as bad as the beginning of the year, but they weren't as good as they were during that streak. So, uh, what what I think as far as the Dodgers' future goes, I, I don't think Mattingly's coming back, and that that, that doesn't bother me. I think that uh, he's made enough mistakes that for such a for such an expensive team, you really should get a manager who doesn't make mistakes like that. Uh, that's not easier said than done, but. What the team needs in order to succeed here is, uh, uh, first of all, they uh, they need to get the the outfield situation fixed. So where they they've got four outfielders right now, all of whom are high, highly paid. They really need to trade one of them. Uh, unless they're convinced that someone like Kemp is just going to miss the entire season, which right now he's not supposed to. Some people are saying, you know, keep four expensive outfielders in case uh, one gets injured because all these guys get injured so often. But, I mean, that's, that's not a very good approach. <laughs> that's, uh, I, I, th- I think this is the problem with having a team where, where you do have so many players that get injured, and this is really what did them in at the end, is that they had more than one outfielder that was actually injured. And uh, and, and this left them with with the situation with Ethier. And Hanley Ramirez, you, you, you know, you couldn't help what happened to him with getting hit, but he also was, was injured throughout the season. There's there's too many players in the team who, who can get injured too easily. And uh, and I'm not sure if I, I like this move with, with the new Cuban player. I don't know that much about him, but something I noticed watching the Dodgers over the years, over, the, over this year, not the years, but over this year, was that defensively, 
they saved a lot of runs, especially in the close games because they were mainly a pitching team. They saved a lot of runs with the great defense of Juan Uribe and Mark Ellis. Hanley Ramirez is not much of a defensive shortstop, but uh, his shortcomings were made up for the fact that uh, that he was surrounded by two great defensive players, and then even uh, Adrian Gonzalez at first is very good defensively. So they had a very good defensive infield, except for Hanley Ramirez, who then more than made up for it with his bat. Uh, I'm afraid if they, since they're getting rid of Ellis because of this Cuban player, and I don't know how he plays defense, but he couldn't be as good as Ellis, and, it, and there's Uribe's contract is up, and I have a feeling he's going to be gone. They're going to try to get a bigger bat at third base. I, I'm just afraid that uh, the defense is going to become terrible. And if you have huge bats, if you have a bunch of Hanley Ramirez's in the lineup, then it doesn't matter if your defense sucks. But I'm just afraid that uh, the de- the defense bailed them out of a lot of games. I watched a lot of games the defense bailed them out. A lot of games they won by one or two runs where they would have lost had they not had these uh, guys at second and third base. So I'm a little concerned by that. And especially, I, I think if this guy's anything like Puig, I think you can only deal with one Puig on your team. Right. I think he, he's, uh, um, he brings, it's amazing how much good and how much bad Puig brings at the same time. Yeah, it's been a lot of controversy with that guy, huh? Like, the way he carries himself, what he does, what he says. Uh... Yeah, he makes a lot of mistakes out there. He's a very energetic player. And he does a lot of things that, uh, you know, aside from having a lot of raw talent uh, and making a lot of great catches in, in outfield and uh, making it, trying to see if he can take second on every single, like every routine single, he looks if he can take second. And that's good, because as long as he doesn't overdo it, he keeps the outfielders on their toes. If the outfielders just walk over to the ball on a routine uh, single, he takes second. He he does a lot of things that not only give him little edges like that, but uh, frustrate the other team. It's very frustrating that a routine single becomes a double because he just runs all the way to second and you, you, you lollygag over to the ball. That can demoralize a team. Things like that. Uh, he makes some great catches in the outfield. He... he he can uh, really he, a very very talented hitter too, and he's actually been improving with his uh, ability to take pitches and and not to swing at everything. Like he, at the beginning, he just swung at everything and hit everything, and somehow hit for four hundred, more than four hundred. Then eventually, that caught up with him. Right. But uh, he brings a lot of good to the table, but he makes so many stupid mistakes. So many stupid mistakes, and I hope that in the off season they can work with him. And that's that's key to the Dodgers' success next year is they have to work with him and cut down on the stupid mistakes, because it's just been it's just been killing them. He made several in the playoffs. Uh, he also gets too emotional and too frustrated. He he stares down umpires. He he gets uh, he gets like angry looks on his face for every bad call or what he perceives as a bad call uh, for balls and strikes. He. Uh, isn't he, like, bad with the media a little bit, too, and, like, like treating other players and stuff like that? Well, there's Whatever. there's talks about how he treats the uh, you know, the opposing team, that he's disrespectful to them. But I, I think a lot of that was over nothing. I think the Cardinals were doing a lot of the same things, and um, for some reason only the Dodgers were getting blamed for it by a lot in the media. But they have to get him under control. They, they have to get him under control without destroying what was good about him. Uh 
bringing this back to poker, people used to ask me, why can't never win? Dustin never win Wolf. Why, you know, he's so good at heads of limit hold'em. Why can't he get himself under control and play his great heads up limit hold'em game without all the different life leaks he has? And without the different bankroll management problems he has and everything else that brought him down. And I said, the problem here is that what's good about Neverwin is also what's bad about Neverwin. And if you take away what's bad about him, then you're going to take away some of the good things that are making him into a really good player. And and so it's very hard sometimes to transform someone and taking away the things that make them unique that are also their faults. Sometimes their faults can also be what makes them tough. And that's exactly the situation with Puig. You, you get him to calm down. You get him to uh, think more about what he's doing. You get him to tone everything down. And people are afraid maybe he'll be a different player. He won't have the intensity anymore. But they have to. They have to do it because there's so many mistakes he makes. And not only does it, it uh, cost the Dodgers runs, but it frustrates the other players. I watched and I saw so many players on the team get frustrated with the way he was playing. I saw Mattingly get frustrated. And I understood the frustration. So they, they have to handle that, and I hope this new player they got does not have this going on too, or they're going to really... It's a, it's like having two problem children in the family. Right. So, uh, they, they also need to try to get... Uh, I, I think Nolasco is not coming back. I think he was just a, a rent-a-player for the rest of the year. They well, I'm have sure to, they'll spend, though. They're, they're going to spend. Yeah. I mean, they have the money. Well, I want to see them get Price... I want to see them get David Price. I think he would be really a good addition to the team. If they could get him, then they would really have a really solid rotation of Kershaw, Granke, Ryu, and Price, and then whoever they stick out fifth. But to bring that force them into the playoffs, one problem they had was that they didn't have any faith in Nolasco by the time the playoffs came. He did great when he first came over, but then at the end of the season he slumped. He did... He actually pitched a decent game when they finally called on him. But they just had no faith in him. And you couldn't throw him out there and say, this is a player that I, I think is going to pitch a good game for us. Even if he's not going to pitch a great game, a good game, towards the end. When you have the foursome of Kershaw, Grinke, Ryu, and Price to throw out in the postseason, that can actually make up for a lot of your deficiencies in the field. And I, I really hope that uh, they do something like that. I think another another really good starting pitcher could really turn the team around. The, they say baseball, 80% pitching, and it could actually be true. If you have a pitcher who is throwing one great game after another, like look, look what Watch is doing. It doesn't matter who was facing him. He was just so hot, nobody was going to hit off him. The good good pitching always beats good hitting. That's that's how the '88 Dodgers beat the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's were a much better team, but the Dodgers had the hot pitching at the time, led by Oral Hershiser, and they won the series four to one. So that's what you need in the playoffs is is really the killer pitching, and uh, I think if they have more of that, then they won't have to overuse Kershaw the way they did. So. Uh, yeah, who knows, Scherzer might be a possibility, too. There's talks the Tigers might trade him because he's up for a contract. Same situation, I think, as Price. So, 
Um, well, yeah, I think he's going to want even a bigger contract, though. That's yeah. uh, but who knows? Maybe the Dodgers will spend it. So, yes, yeah, I mean, if you want one of those pitchers now, the price is going to be like twenty five, twenty eight million a season. It's yeah, insane. It's, it is insane. And I was I was thinking about Kershaw. And, you know, other than the, that last game and a few games at the end of the season yeah. when he seemed tired, also and didn't do well, he really had an amazing year. And the last few years, he's been best pitcher in baseball overall, no question. Uh, but what if you sign him for seven years and $210 million, which is what he's looking for? And he comes back, and all of a sudden he's the Clayton Kershaw who pitched in St. Louis Game 6. What if he's just not good anymore? And you've now got him for seven years, $30 million each. That's what happened to CC Sabathia this year. I mean, he paid first few years, pretty dominant. This year, just got totally shelled, you know? I mean, that's one thing about locking these pitchers up for these long-term deals. I mean, it's all it takes, you know? you pay, They go downhill, and you're screwed. You're on the yeah. books for that, you the, know? The somehow, uh, I, I don't know how he did it, but uh, Tim Lincecum got uh, $35 million today for two years. <laughs> That's I, I don't know what the Giants are thinking there. I mean, that's uh, that's not exactly the ticket back to the top here. He has not been the same in quite some time, and I don't think he ever will be. Yeah, it's been two years in a row now. I mean, he showed some glimpses last year, but uh, when he threw the no hitter and everything, he had a couple of good starts, but nothing like what he used to be. Yeah. Not not that type of money. That's crazy. Yeah, the, the Giants—they're not even a, a big spending club. That's just so strange. Right. And they, they had a pretty bad year there. So they, that's yeah. definitely not going to turn them around. They, they need to go after someone like Price. If, I mean, if at least spend on someone who you think could have a really good year. Uh, I, I knew that Giants team last year. I know J-Stat's going to hate me for this, but I knew that Giants team in 2012 was, was so overrated and so performing over its head. And I, 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 just, I didn't think it was going to have a year like they did, but I, I didn't think they were the threat in 2013 like a lot of the Giants fans felt. I did think it would come down to Dodgers and Giants in the West, and it didn't. But uh, I didn't think they were going to be anything the team that they were in the second half of 2012, where just everything went right. I, I just didn't see it. Uh, Bootsy Collins asking in the chat, if Mattingly's shown the door, who would you want to replace him? Magic Johnson, obviously. <laughs> I don't know. The, then... Hockey guy saying signing pitchers to those thirty seven million thirty year thirty million a year is always a great idea. They never break down. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what I'm afraid of. And you know, with Kershaw watching him for the last three years and going, you know what, last four years, whatever. He's still young. He's going to have seven great years out of him. It's not like he's thirty thirty three years old. Uh, he's twenty five this year. But watching that last game, I'm like crap. That's not that's not the picture I saw all this time. Yeah, no, nobody's lived up to one of these contracts yet. I mean, A Rod still has like four more years on the books. Um, he's pretty much done. Uh, Pujols, you know, he's he's been injured the last couple of years, and he has eight more years left yeah. on that. Deal. Yeah, that's a disaster. You know, any of these contracts that have been like twenty five million plus, I mean, <laughs> these usually when these guys are getting them, you know, they're in their late twenties or early thirties because. You know, they they went through their peak years, and they were so good. And, you know, all these guys are getting signed on their back nine. I think with Kershaw, though, 
He's so young that yeah, I would lock him up for that. Time. Yeah, that's that's think- why I think they have to do it. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I, I just I I get a little nervous unless unless the group is so committed to spend money that even if Kershaw is a huge fail, that they're just going to shrug it off and just keep spending. Then I don't care if they waste their money. It's not my money. I just right. care if it affects what they can spend in future years. I don't want to see the Dodgers be a fail for seven years because they waste a ton of money today and then don't yeah. even get a World Series out of it. So they, they they have unlimited spending. The TV deal they got is enormous. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping is the case. I'm just hoping they can keep spending. <laughs> and and see, you know, I, I heard he got offered thirty million during the season and he turned it down. Well, I, I didn't hear exactly what happened. I I heard that there was discussion about a seven year thirty million a year, and that talks broke down. I don't know on what end. I don't know if it was him saying I want more than seven years. Or I don't know if the Dodgers were saying, no, I don't want seven years, make it five years or something. Like, I, I don't know which end it was breaking down, but I heard that was what was being thrown around. Yeah, he probably wants ten. I mean, <laughs> that, seems to be, that seems to be the standard now. I mean, yeah. all these guys are getting these ten years to $250 million. I mean, he deserves to be paid whatever the top salary is right now. You know, I mean, he's been the best pitcher, like, over, over the last three, four years. So, I mean. Yeah, and that's uh, – that is – Amazing though, if someone gets three hundred million dollar contract, but uh, A <laughs> Rod got it. Yeah, and uh, I-, I couldn't believe how long A Rod is signed till because he's he's not young, and I think he signed through two thousand eighteen. Right, and and it- I think he's born in seventy five. So what is like going to be like? Uh, I think the end of seventy five. So I think he's gonna be like forty two during the se- last season of that. Yeah, he's done. He's pretty much done right yeah. now. At best, you're going to get if he played like if this suspension wasn't coming up, they might get out of this because he's going to get suspended. But um, you know, at best, you get what twenty homers, maybe like eighty RBIs, and you know, you're paying the guy whatever thirty million. But like Lou, 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 Lou was saying in the chat, like China going to talk about Prince Fielder because I mentioned this in a thread. Prince Fielder is signed through 2020 at 24 million a season. That's just insane. I mean, his production's dropped every year in Detroit, and you know, if and he's not a small, he's a huge guy. I mean, if his body bre- breaks down or whatever, I mean, you're on the books with that guy for, for another seven or eight years yeah. at twenty five million a season. At least and, he wasn't a gigantic fail. He just didn't live up to what they were hoping he would be. He would, you know, he still hit somewhat. He just wasn't. Uh... Yeah, but like this year, you're paying a guy twenty four million. He only he hit twenty five home runs. He only slugged like four fifty. And his numbers are on the decline three yeah, years in a row. It just looks like it just looks like it's heading in the wrong direction. I mean, I could be wrong. He 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 might have good seasons ahead, but it just uh, it looks like he's heading that way. Yeah, A Rod. Uh, yeah, he was born July twenty seventh, nineteen seventy five, and he is signed through two thousand seventeen. It's, so, un- it's unreal. So so yeah, he'll be forty two. Like, yeah. like even if, take away the roid aspect of it. Even say this was all just natural talent and not Roy's, which it wasn't, but pretend it was. Uh, who's going to hit well at forty-two? Nobody's ever Roy's. done it that wasn't suspected of steroids. Yeah, so I was going to say no. Unless you're on Roy's, you can't hit well at age forty-two. You can you can sometimes pitch well if you're like a knuckleballer, but you're, you're not going to be a great hitter at forty-two. You, nobody has ever been a great hitter at forty-two. I think it's even. I think it's like thirty-seven or thirty-eight. Nobody's even hit like right there unless they were suspected of being on steroids. Yeah, it, it's yeah just, I mean, yeah. So if something happens to your body at that age that uh, you you just can't get past it, no matter how talented you are, unless you use these uh, substances. So uh, I, I, that was such a strange contract, unless they were just kind of 
paying for a lot more than what it appeared to be up front, knowing that they're just kind of wasting the money at the end. So, yeah, I mean, the Dodgers did something interesting with talk about paying a lot of money for someone that appears to be more than it is. That's what they did with Adrian Gonzalez, because they assumed insane contracts with, with Josh Beckett, who was clearly never going to perform to what the contract was, and Carl Crawford to a lesser degree, but but also was not a $20 million a year player by the time they got him, uh, just to get Adrian Gonzalez. And the Dodgers thinking was, well, we have all this money to spend, and we need a superstar here, so we're going to get him. Yeah. But if you think about what that kind of translates to, of what they're spending on Gonzalez, it's crazy. They, they, got, some, they got some production out of Crawford, but... Uh, not that much, and uh, in the playoffs they did, but the regular season they didn't, and they got almost nothing out of Beckett, and they knew that Beckett, they were actually expecting the opposite, that Beckett would play and not be that great, and that uh, Crawford would be injured most of the season, not expected, but they could easily see it. Well, Crawford had some injuries, but he did play a good deal of games, and Beckett almost didn't play at all. And uh, Crawford was terrible down the stretch, though. I mean, yeah, he, he was, was. Hot in, the, in the playoffs, but I mean, I had him on my fantasy team. I had to cut him with like three weeks. To, he just didn't do anything. Yeah, for he like did nothing. Two months. I, he didn't. Like the second half, he was he was terrible. He was like the opposite of Ethier, who was was gr- very good in the second half and lousy in the first half. So the second half, he was lousy. And uh, so yeah, Gonzalez, uh, you know, he, he had a good year, but they they really put insane money, but they just wanted to put a, a winning team on the field, and they saw that was a way to get someone, so maybe that's... He, what plus, he's a perfect guy for out there, because I think he's from San Diego, he's Latino, this big Latino population, they got a big stadium, you know, and he's, he's a very good player, too, so I mean, he was a perfect match, I think, for uh, the Dodgers, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, I, and yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't think he will be a fail, I think, you know, throughout the, the years they have him, maybe at the end he'll they'll go down, but I think they'll get a lot of good years out of him. Uh, they just really put a lot of money into getting him a lot more than even the twenty million he's making a year. But uh, you know, Kemp could end up being a huge bust if he just stays injured every year. Right. Yeah. And he could I be. Mean, he, ever since he banged his shoulder, I think it was in Colorado. Uh, he's never been the same player. Yeah. Plus, he's got like a ankle problem too now, right? Yeah. So all kinds of all kinds of injury problems. And this is a player who who probably was really really talented, but may have injured himself out of what he once was. And uh, um, that's so. Yeah, they have they have a lot of money tied up in in players who have injury issues, and that's that's where I start to worry about things. And I hope they don't just turn off the spending one day, because then that's going to be a failed team for a long time, barring some kind of unexpected rookies performing and the the Dodgers one other thing I want to say they actually got a lot out of some cheap players Kenley Jansen was making 500,000 uh Paco Rodriguez even though he fell apart at the very very end because probably from overuse he was great during the regular season great setup man they he, he got replaced by Brian Wilson which was good because that's kind of when uh Paco was going downhill but uh and I think Brian Wilson, he's probably not coming back to the Dodgers. He'll probably want to close somewhere. Right. And, uh, you know, he did a great job, but I don't think he wants to be the setup guy. So, yes, we'll see, and uh, you'll, uh, maybe the Boston Red Sox will 
win another World Series. They get the home card, home home field advantage thanks to that stupid rule. Yeah, that's the stupidest rule ever. It's the, I mean, who's the winner of the All Star game? Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's 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 absolutely insane that least- like. You know, because your team, I mean, a couple of guys on your team might have a say in it and they don't even play the full game in the All-Star. It's the, it's so dumb. It's just Bud Selig trying to cover his own ass for having a game get canceled. I mean, that game end up in a tie, like, uh, yeah. to try and make the game be meaningless. But, I mean, this is, they should have never ended the game in a tie. They should have just said a, a position player is going to have to pitch. Then yeah. if the start, you don't yeah. want the starters to pitch. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> they... It's a ridiculous rule. It's totally arbitrary. The only good thing I can say about this year is that the Cardinals and Red Sox had identical regular season records. So they may have had to decide this by a coin flip anyway. Right. So in that case, then this kind of was a coin flip. <laughs> yeah. But but normally, uh, you could have had a team with, with a, an amazingly better record facing each other, and the, and the far worse record gets the home field advantage, and that would be crazy. Yeah. So fortunately this year, it's not, it, it didn't matter. And the winner of this will be the first three-time champion this century. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. So, yeah. should be interesting. And uh, Red Sox obviously very happy after they send away Adrian Gonzalez so soon after signing him, and then go to the World Series and maybe even win it. So we will see tomorrow. And uh, by the time next week comes around, uh, we'll know a lot more. May even be over by then. I'm on uh, I'm on StubHub right now. Cheapest ticket two seventy six, and that's for standing room. Wow! And let me see what the high is. This is this should be insane. Eleven thousand, and that's for like uh, right field box. That's not even like you know behind home plate or so something. That's one like of that. these. Like, you, you can get tickets down tickets. around home plate for like a thousand bucks, which isn't you, too which is pretty good for a game like this. You know. The one good thing about the Dodgers not making it is it saves me money because I really wanted to go to the World Series. It's been 25 years since I've been there, the first time since I've been an adult. And yet, I was bothered by the prices I was seeing, and I was hoping they'd come down, or I was hoping I'd grab some last-minute tickets, but like I really didn't want to pay some obscene sum of money to go, but then I also didn't want to Jew out and not go. and like I, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do if the prices didn't come down. And... I didn't have to make the decision. That's the only good thing is I save money. Yeah, save a little money. Sometimes uh, bad things can have a uh, a good silver lining, or sometimes even the uh, the good can outweigh the bad. Though I, I'm not happy the Dodgers didn't make it, but uh, that that was the silver lining. Uh, sometimes there can be a big silver lining to bad things, like uh, the there there was a miscarriage that I've talked about before that uh, was huge for me. That was a in 1970, my mom had a miscarriage that had it not occurred, I would not be alive. That was the uh, the miscarriage that led to the next pregnancy, which is me. And had the baby been born that was miscarried, it would have been about a month before my actual conception, which would have been impossible. So, I wouldn't have existed. So, that miscarriage... Uh, which appeared to my parents to be very sad at the time, especially as their first child, uh, actually was not only essential for my life, but essential for Benjamin's life, too. So, sometimes good think, comes out of bad things. 
Yeah, everything happens for a reason. And I, I hope so. I was almost a miscarriage. I was a really close miscarriage. I, I got a uh, pretty much I got two outer on the river with uh, surviving that. There you go. So that was the. Whenever I, I get bad luck in poker, I go. You know what? I, I hit a two outer on the river to live at all. So, right. like, like how how unlucky can I say I was? Like that's that was the most important two outer to hit. If I don't so hit that, I, I don't hit that. I don't even play. That's right. So, like, I, you, I, you, so that it's safe to say you 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 already used your one. Yeah, time, I, right? I did. I used, I used my huge one time. That's right. That, that's sad, but yeah, I can't even say. Where's my one time of uh, of getting luck? The truth is, that I did have a one time of getting poker luck, and that was at the uh, uh, three thousand limit event in two thousand five. That that uh, second day of that event, I just uh, ran super well. So, I, I I guess I guess I got it, and hopefully I'll have it. Again. I thought maybe this year I had it again. I, I thought at one point when I was just running up real fast in chips on day two, I thought maybe I had it again. Especially when I the the, the peak of it was when I. Put a bad beat on David Chu, the guy who got uh, robbed this year of the Hall of Fame. I had kings and he had tens, and this flat came with a ten, and there was a ton of people in the. It was a terrible hand for me until the king hit, because or not the king, until I had a one card straight. Uh, was it a one card straight? I, I, actually, I think I flopped an open ender or something. It was like, I think it was a one card straight. I think it's what I hit, but. Uh, uh, something like that. There was some really ugly flop for kings with a ton of people in there. And um, David Chu was in the perfect position to check raise. And it was a thing where like a, it checked to me with an ugly flop for kings but without an ace on the board. And it was like right. four people in. And there's absolutely no way I could check behind because there's no way I can give a free card in that spot. So I was like, ah, oh, I, I hate betting here but I know I'm going to get check raised by a better hand. So I bet, and David Chu raises me. God, like, oh, fuck, he's got me. And he flopped a set of tens. And then the turn hit, and I hit the straight, and he uh, um, he just checked. <laughs> he knew he was screwed. So, um, won that big pot because of all the action pre-flop, and uh, I thought I thought maybe this was uh, this was the one. I thought that maybe this is the one I've been waiting for for eight years. But. Uh, didn't quite get there, and it made me appreciate even more like how lucky I had to be to to win back in '05 because you you just can't you you have to go a long time without a number of bad things happening that take you out. Yeah, first and a third. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, and uh, it was amazing that the top two in that event were both down to almost nothing at the final table at one point. It's crazy. And I was the one who uh, doubled both of them up, by the way. That wasn't bad beat double-ups, but I did double them both up in, like, standard spots where I didn't love it, but I had to. Like, both times I had an ace and they had nothing. Like, right. they, had no, they had no chips and they raised pre-flop, and, and, like, I had an ace in, like, the big blind or the small blind. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, so you got to put them in. you got to put them in, and then, and then one time they had queens, and one the other time they had me dominate, like, ace, queen, to ace, ten. So, like, what am I going to do? Right. So it happens a lot, and, you know, if you play a lot of heads up, limit hold them. You know, so many times that happens. It's like, you know, you got some crap hand, but it's like, you know, you got like one more bet to call, and you obviously you're going to put the guy all in, and then, you know, they just run it up on you. you know, yeah. It's just the way it goes, shorthanded. And then I had the, uh, at four, in the 2500 limit, like near the bubble, where I got kings against Maria Ho's aces and two other people who were jacking it up pre flop. 
and like the flop came like jack high, and I get check raise. I'm like, ah, crap, she's got aces. So, call down. She shows me aces. She goes on to finish like fourth or something, and I was like a pseudo bubble. But whatever. At least I, at least I got my one time in uh, 1971, and uh, didn't uh, I, I didn't go down the toilet when when uh, my mom felt all the pain there. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where I would have went. So that's, like, I could have been down the toilet in 1971, so I guess the fact that I'm here talking about it in 2013 is uh, is something I can be thankful for. So, uh, a question from Skype, from uh, Lou Father. Druff, what's the most you would pay for Game 7 World Series Dodger tickets, knowing full well they will clinch? Oh, wow. So, well, that's a hard one in a few ways, because... If I already know the outcome, the game's not as fun, even if it's a good outcome. Uh, so I, I'll have to cancel the last part of it, knowing full well it'll clinch. I'll just say, what would I pay for a Game 7 World Series Dodger tickets, let's say in Dodger Stadium, even though it wouldn't be possible this year? And... I would I, I don't know. It also depends where the seats are. I was like... I was like thinking, well, if I can't get my usual really good seats that I always get, like, on the field, like, ten rows back, eight rows back from the field, like, maybe I'm willing to downgrade for the World Series and sit in the loads level or something. The loads level is the second highest level. Or the second lowest level, that is. Uh, I, I was trying to think, like, what's the worst I would sit in if the prices are just insane for the field tickets? And I, I couldn't figure out, like, is it worth taking a crappier seat and paying significantly less, and I, I thought the answer is probably yes. Like, like in the playoffs, there was no question. Like, there was no question. I'm going to buy the $220 really good ticket over the $60 crappy ticket or the $110 okay ticket because it's not that much money. But would I pay $2,000 for that ticket? No. Especially since I got to get two of them. So, I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. I, I, the question he's asking me, I was trying to think to myself, like when they were in the NLCS, what will I pay and where will I sit? And I never got an answer. And then, and then when they went down three to two, you know, when they went down three to two going to St. Louis, it looked so bleak. I said, I'm not even going to consider this. I'll wait till they, uh, till they actually pull off a miracle and do it. So, anyway. Uh, a lot of baseball talk here, but it was all at the end of the show, so I don't feel bad. I always say, if you don't like the content of the show at the end, some people say, oh, I don't like the, the bad guy segments, I don't like uh, these type of segments. I go, turn it off. You know the agenda. You you know what we've talked about. You know we're not going to do anything more. Turn it off. I mean, yeah, there's a chance we'll get some kind of epic phone call, but you can always look in the description what happened in the archives and yeah, turn it off. You're not forced to listen to the whole thing. So, like, I, we sat here talking about baseball for a long time, and I was thinking, ah, maybe this is kind of brutal for the non-baseball fans. Like, oh, you know what? Screw it. It's the end of the show. They could just pretend the show was over an hour ago. That's it. Yeah. So, it's, uh, so it's good. You know, there's no uh, no cost to running this. It's uh, my own site, my own schedule. And... Uh, I'd like to thank China Maniac for guesting once again as the second host here. I always enjoy having him here. Much better than doing it alone. My pleasure, Drew. And uh, 
I'd like to thank the audience who stuck with me this whole time. I think there's always people... There's really people, like, ditching the chat. What? Whoa, 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 what's that? Yeah, we, we lost the song for a second. What was that? There we go. I thought I could, I thought I could hear it there. Oh, anyway, it's back. So, um... People are already ditching the chat room once they hear the music come on, saying that the show's over. This is the the show's over music, whether it's All in the Family or Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We will be back next week on March... March. I don't know why I said March. October 29th, 7 p.m. is when we will return. Maybe China Maniac will be back again. You know, you're always welcome to join the show at the last minute if I don't have a co-host. And... Again, thank you to everybody who donated to the free roll. Always appreciate that. And wow, we really—I'm lo- looking at the ratings right now. We really lost a lot of people at the end here. <laughs> a lot of people just ditched out on this when it became baseball time, but that's okay. But uh, thank you to those that did stick around. And you know, I really am happy to have all the listeners we do, no matter what way you listen to the show. I always like when I get new messages from people that I've never heard of before that listen to the show and said, hey, I, I've been listening for over a year and I just have never said anything, but hello, here I am. I love messages like that. It makes me feel good about doing the show. Because it is a commitment. Every Tuesday night or, or some other night, if I substitute it, I have to be here and devote a few hours to this and make sure Benjamin's being watched and all that. It can be tough week after week, but especially since I'm getting no money for this, but... I'm happy we have an audience that enjoys the show, and that's what keeps me coming back every week, and that's what keeps I think co-hosts like Chinese Maniac from coming, yeah, from coming, coming in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying here. <laughs> so we're actually running over the song. That's how out of it I am tonight. And uh, good night to everybody. We will see you next week. Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show, signing off. Once again, good night, Chinese Maniac. Good night. Good night. Shalom. Right.